0: When it was announced that Master Horror Director Wes Craven had passed away at the age of 76. Jeffrey
1: with IGN News. This weekend, acclaimed horror writer-director and Wes Craven has passed away from brain cancer. So
0: many scary movies come to mind when you think of Wes Craven, the legendary horror film director passing away after a battle with brain cancer. He was best known for the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, introducing the terrifying Freddy Krueger to the slasher movie lexicon. He also directed Scream movies, spoofing the very genre that he helped to create. Craven died at his home in Los Angeles. He is survived by his wife and his three children. Wes Craven, the master of horror.
2: The film industry has lost a legend whose work made falling asleep difficult for decades over fears of who you may encounter in your dreams. Filmmaker Wes Craven died Sunday from brain cancer. He was 76.
0: Hey everyone, and happy rain video Monday. It's Monday. So, I had a whole plan for this random
3: video
2: Monday, um, but my dear friend, who I've never met, uh, Wes Craven, recently just passed away.
1: Hey guys, this is Cody, and um, I just wanted to do this quick video. I wasn't planning on doing a video today, but Last night there was some really terrible news.
0: Hey guys, and um Wes Craven um passed away yesterday, um from brain cancer at the age of I believe, seventy-six. When I heard about this, um my friend linked something to me on Facebook and I thought, I right, whatever, it's just one of those Then I wanted to
3: um I thought, well, one's 20s twenty two shots of moods and
0: horror because of that
4: horror community um like a fair bit of horror YouTubers are on there and it was true.
0: And I was just like, what?
1: Mm. Um a legend. Uh, a legendary filmmaker a guy who created one of your modern myths that will be with you until you drop from this earth and shit and a hell of a nice guy who I got to not only direct but be directed by at one point Ooh. talking about the legend the, the the Gretzky the horror Gretzky that was the maestro will always be the maestro West Craven. Yeah. West Craven passed. Um, very sad to see. You've had tremendous success, particularly in the horror genre, uh, over and over again. How do you feel about that label of being considered a horror director? You know, it, it, it's a blessing and it's a curse. I come from a blue-collar family, and I'm just glad for the work. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's an extraordinary
3: opportunity and gift to be able to make films in general. To have done it for almost 40 years now is. Remarkable. Uh, I don't know what else I would do at this point
4: to eleven. And, and I've met all sorts of extraordinary people and been extraordinary places.
1: And you know, if if I have to do the rest of my films in the genre, I no problem, no problem. I'll take every opportunity to get out. But um, if I'm going to be a cage bird, I'll sing in the best song I can.
3: What's up, sledders? Zach and what? D here, and as some of you may know, today is a little bit, a hell of a lot of a sad day. <sighs> horror icon Wes Craven has passed away
4: hey my horror fans I'm sad to say that one of my favorite
0: creators of horror has passed away today from
5: Frank Castle Mr. Wes Craven what's up y'all it's your man Alley back again uh, I just wanted to make a short video I'm out here in my garage because I wanted to get away from everybody in the house everybody in the house is being loud and when I try to get away to make a video, the kids follow me and I just can never get quiet time. So I'm out here in the garage and I wanted to make a quick video talking about Wes Craven.
4: Hey there YouTube Land and tonight, well, we're talking about something that we never have to talk about on here. I do a lot of like horror movies stuff like that but tonight i actually have to say goodbye to one of my all-time favorite directors period and that's Wes
0: craven
5: so it came to my attention that Wes craven has passed away if you don't know who Wes craven is he's behind A nightmare on elm street scream mind ripper the hills have eyes it's weird knowing he's gone i know that's eventually happens to everybody
1: well, I have a very sort of ambivalent view of myself as um, as an artist or as a filmmaker. I mean, somebody once, when I was first starting in films in New York, says, if you want something on your gravestone in, your, in the film business, I think the best thing is filmmaker. If you can honestly say that, that's all you need to
4: say. And that's, uh, that, I think, would, I would like that on my gravestone, along with whatever you do, don't
0: fall asleep.
1: Yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 57 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horrors coming at you live. I'm your host, Mood 616 and of course, I've always got my Mexican on my left. Why am I in, on your in left? In the house. Double shot, Jay. Hey, I don't know why you're on your left, you know? Also known as JP. What's up? What's going on, homie? Hey, what up, dude? Uh, yeah, uh.
3: I, I did wonder that, though, because I was like, I'm to your left, but I feel like I'm on your right right now, so...
1: It's a little weird. That is kind of that is weird how the brain works because technically you're you're on either side. You're like <laughs> you're actually in front of me, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the internet has so no goofy. physics.
1: I just said the last Mexican on my left. The last Mexican on my left. Oh, Sorry. I get it.
3: It's a reference.
1: Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh. There you <laughs> go. Oh, did I actually blow him by you there? Yeah, I'm and Mexican. I usually
3: am right on, I'm on it on my like, left. I was like, "Oh, I guess he's not doing one this time." <laughs> I,
1: I just I just took out last and uh, put and replaced house with Mexican. You know, I was getting a little clever, but I thought you would have got that to my left.
3: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what what else would it be? The Mexican that has eyes or something?
1: I actually didn't even think about it until I was doing it. Uh, that's so okay. that's, <laughs> that's okay. kind of funny. Yeah. So uh, so what's been going on, man? Well.
3: As you know, I've been trying to do pre-recordings of 31 Days of Horror. I started the series in 2012 where I did one horror review every day for 31 days. Around mid-October, I kind of fell off a little bit and ended up not really finishing the series until like November 10th. And then in 2013, I did it again, didn't finish until about 2000 until about November 11th, and then the year after that, 2013, uh, or 2014, which was last year, I never even continued. I stopped at 21. I went 21 straight, dude, 21 straight, mm-hmm. and then just mm-hmm. dropped off. There was actually a big situation that came up in my life that that really affected that, but I decided, hey, I'm going to do it right now in September, and then I'm going to go right off of that and roll right into another 31 Days of Horror for 2015, and it's going to be awesome. And I even convinced you, who I tried to convince for three years to do it, and now when your life can't possibly get any more hectic, you decide to do it. What's up with that?
1: I know because I, I don't know, man. I'm always trying to put so much pressure on myself. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think it's what makes me it makes me strong, and what you know, it kind of makes me go and do these things. I don't know. It's it's so silly that I'm going to attempt this, but um, but I honestly think I. I can do it. I'm really looking forward to it, you know, not only to accomplish, you know, the 31 Days of Horror, but, you know, to prove to myself that, you know, under all the duress and, you know, all the other (laughs) things that I got going on right now, uh, you know, I can still, you know, get through it and do it. But to be honest, The main reason is I have a lot of films I need to watch and this forces me to watch them. (laughs) So why not just watch the films and do reviews? So, I mean, it really does help. You know, it's 30, 31 films to, you know, knock off the uh, off the watch pile. So no better time, man. No better time. Yeah.
3: And that's absolutely one of the reasons why I picked the Universal Monsters set to go through, because if you remember, at the end of the year last year, there was two things I wanted to work on. One was get more familiar with Universal horror films, the the classic monster films, and two was Italian horror films. So I'm really trying to focus on the Universal right now, and I figured what better way than to do the entire box set during the 31 days of horror. But I also want to say, when you were going through that, and you're like, I just want to put as much pressure on me as possible, I, I figured out who you are. You are the Ronda Rousey of the horror community because that's exactly what she does. She goes and films ten movies and uh, you know all during her training camp because she needs to put as much pressure on herself as possible. There's many interviews where she said that and you know that's you. Yeah, that's a compliment, by the way.
1: I guess so. I mean, the difference between me and Ronda Rousey, though. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I mean, she probably has a way bigger penis than I do.
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> I mean, come on. But, yeah, no, that is that is pretty insane of her to go out and do all those films, uh, uh, you know, during training. Because, you know, training for UFC, man, it's hectic.
3: Yeah, especially I mean,
1: that's an everyday yeah. thing, too. It's just like, well, exactly, right? It's it's not only a one, you know, a time a day thing. It's it's like all day, everyday kind of thing, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: those guys do it pretty crazy, but, Yeah awesome stuff but yeah you know like I said it was it was really but I mean (laughs) honestly me and the wife we were talking about it when she was downstairs and we were in the film room and she goes these are all your unwatched films and I'm like yep (laughs) I'm like I'm gonna attempt this 31 days and she's like it's probably a good idea and I'm like yep (laughs) we kind (laughs) of laughed about it because I mean it was we were kind of snickering about it because it's like it's really not but at the same time it is it's fine I mean this is this will become a nighttime thing and yeah, we'll get through it, man. I'm just hoping that I don't watch a bunch of shit. You know, there's nothing worse cuz I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously watching films I've never seen before and you know like sometimes you get in those in those ruts, you know, you ever watch like 10 or 12 films you've never seen before in a row and then like nine of them suck dick? Don't you fucking hate that?
3: <laughs> yeah, like it honestly uh, usually see I don't have the patience for that. By the time I get to like the third one, just the third one, then I reach for something that I know is good because I can't stand watching that many. There was a couple weeks ago, I don't think we had a show during that week, but I remember it was like it was like a like a three, a four and a five, just back to back ratings and I was just like, Ugh, this is terrible and then I watched something good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I uh, I don't know. I feel kind of bad. Like, I've been getting, you know, quite a few films from Anchor Bay to review, and I've been watching them, and I, I honestly can't do reviews. Like, I, I, emailed, I mean, emailed my lady there, and I was like, man, sorry. Like, I watch these films, and they're terrible. <laughs> I can't do reviews for them. You want to give the bad press, right? So, um, yeah, I've been having a rough one, man. Like, I, there was about a dozen films there, and I think about... You know eight or nine I didn't even recommend even like my last few reviews on body bags I haven't recommended at all and i uh, I don't know what the fuck's going on I'm watching a lot of shit but then on the flip side I've been watched I watched a couple really good ones too so which is good so we'll get into that later so anything else going on you not busy like me no
3: I mean just <laughs> you just your typical work stuff i i've I've kind of been just watching a lot of movies. To pre-record as many reviews as I can as possible. I think I pre-recorded about fifteen reviews, but most of them hmm. were for the last year's uh, thirty-one days that I didn't finish. So all those are already recorded, and I got about two recorded for the October's thirty-one days of horror. So I'm gonna try to okay. get you know another ten or so ready by the time October actually rolls around because I I don't I actually want to do it this year. I'm, I'm really gonna try.
1: Yeah, I'm <clears throat> gonna hopefully. Get a few, you know, pre recorded done, and you know, hopefully, <clears throat> but uh, I mean, it'll definitely help. <laughs> it's not an easy task, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll just say fuck it, and I'll just be you know, going in blind and, and uh, just do a day by day. I did that with um, I remember my 25 days of Christmas war that I did a couple years back. Um, I woke up every single morning before work and recorded a a review and uploaded it before I went to work and that was kind of my plan I was like yeah this is how I'm going to do it I'm going to stick to it for 25 days and I think the only day that I didn't put one up right in the morning was Christmas Day I actually didn't end up doing it later in the day but I never pre-recorded one of those reviews um, which is really fucked up during that season because you're so busy (laughs) I don't even know how the hell I did that yeah that's insane I
3: I actually all three years before that (laughs) I did them on the fly like that Where I watched one every day and recorded it So that's probably why I failed So much uh, Last year I actually did have like three For missed days where I'd be like Okay I'm going to pre-record Because I did random movies last year for the most part uh, And I was like okay I'm going to pre-record Three reviews and then If I need to miss a day I can't watch a movie that day I'll insert it And that kind of worked until about day 21 When I used all three of them already <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, that's why I got to do a little more than that. But, eh. but you know, when I did the the 25 Days of Christmas, man, it really got me into the Christmas kind of mode. And I was really, that was an exciting Christmas. I don't know, because I guess I was just celebrating it, like, all month, you know, kind of thing, with all these mm-hmm. films. Because most of the films that I reviewed were pretty good. I mean, there was obviously some duds in there, but uh, I don't know. That was just one of those Christmas where I just never remember before being so much into the into the, into the the season, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, that just kind of did it. Well, me. so I,
3: I'll actually cool have me. another Christmas film for you to check out later in the show. Uh, a little bit of foreshadowing there. I actually did watch a brand new Christmas horror film that I'll review.
1: Nice, nice. That's very exciting, actually. Um, (laughs) Because I was actually going through some... uh, Oddly enough, earlier today, uh, I was going through um, just some ideas. I was kind of flipping around. And I actually do have enough to do like, you know, seven days of you know Christmas horror or something like that. But um, I'm curious on this one. So, yeah, forward to that. So, anyways, we got some news we want to get into?
3: Yeah, let's get into some news. Uh, Not a big week this week, but there's some nugs up in there. Uh, The first one comes from... uh, I got most of this news from Bloody Disgusting. I normally don't say where I get it. I usually get it from a lot of different sites, but I just figured since today I actually got almost every piece from Bloody Disgusting, I would at least shout it out. Because I was kind of in a rush to get it, so I just hit their website up. Uh, A24's period horror film The Witch has got an official release date set for February 26th. I guess bloody disgusting reports that this premiered at Sundance Film Festival and has gotten a universal positive acclaim and is considered by many to be the most anticipated upcoming horror film. So this is this is going big right in 2016, right in February. It's set in a New England circa 1630, the witch follows a farmer who got cast out of his colony plantation and is forced to move his family to a remote plot of land on the edge of an ominous forest rumored to be controlled by witches. Almost immediately strange and unsettling things begin to happen. The animals turn violent, the crops fail, and one of the children disappears, only to return seemingly possessed by an evil spirit. As a suspicion and paranoia mount, everyone begins to point the finger at the teenage daughter, they accuse her of witchcraft, which she admittedly denies. But as circumstances become more and more treacherous, each family mother's faith, loyalty, and love will be tested in shocking and unforgettable ways. So this is a period piece. 1630, it's yeah. say, in New England.
1: Yeah, that's cool, man.
3: Yeah, the witch. <clears throat> oh, I, I know that I've been like in desperate want of a... New witch film because I love the concept of witch films, right? Like the the witches witches are creepy. That's why I loved *Lords of Salem* so much, and mm-hmm. I would love uh, this sounds great to me.
1: Yeah, it does sound pretty good. I and <clears throat> yeah, being a, a you know like a really really you know far back uh, period piece. I, I I mean I'm a big fan of those man. You know, um, I, you know there is some you know period piece witch films that are just so kind of like. I feel like the direction in some of those films are just not there, you know, but yeah. hopefully the direction in this one's good. You know, I I can name a few off the top of my head right now, but yeah. I won't. But uh, I'm always I'm always excited for which films, too, man. It's kind of a it's an interesting you know subgenre.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, the two years that we've been doing this modes, we, we've kind of learned the cycle, right? There's films that debut in, say, this year, 2015. In the festival circuit, and me and you and the average person, we're not going to see those films until until 2016. So they'll be on our 2016 yeah. list. So I do a lot of poking around during you know the, this year in order you know every year during the festival circuits to kind of see what's hot because usually and and this normally happens whenever you hear overwhelmingly positive reviews coming out of festivals, you know that that's a title that you got to check out. During its actual release, it's its wide release exactly. in, in the following year. So uh, I pay attention to that stuff really well, and this is one that I'll I'll try to remember for when it does get released. It's it's early. Early February is pretty early in the year.
1: Uh-huh. Can you name off any other ones from this year that are really duly noted that are probably coming out next year? Uh
3: February is one that I've heard a lot of good things about and okay. uh, that's the only one that I could think of off the top of my head because, you know, the titles, yeah. they get really bunched up in your head. But February just exactly. sounded like one that uh, was unique. You know, it's one that, that that's going to stick in your memory.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. So
3: after that, we have Prometheus slash Aliens news. So apparently Ridley Scott was interviewed uh, the other last week and he said that he's planning three more Prometheus films. Uh, and that's pretty – Interesting because like the second one has been and had got announced right after the first one and really it's now just becoming a film like they're just going into the pre-production I believe and then he also revealed in a follow up interview that he's changing the title though they're not going to be called Prometheus anymore they're actually going to be called this one's going to be called Alien Paradise Lost. So, that kind of says <clears throat> that, like, Alien's a more marketable title.
1: So it's, Yeah, I was going to say.
3: <laughs> so, he explained that the sequels would eventually interconnect with the Alien films, which they pretty much did in the first one. But I think he means, like, more of an interconnectivity. Uh, so, maybe he said that the titles should live in the same world, too. Maybe it shouldn't be Prometheus and Alien. It should just be, like, sort of the marvel universe where it's like the alien universe right so the 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 prometheus story is happening in the alien universe which makes sense because aliens the more marketable title
1: oh yeah big time yeah
3: the only thing that i'm wondering is there's also another alien film that just recently got greenlit as well so i don't know if both of these are going to happen at the same time and have i think it would be cool for two different series to be happening at the same time, I guess it would be like the Marvel universe because they do that shit, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, it, that's a little confusing, though, isn't it? It is, but you know you, those, know, you got these multiple films happening. Like, I mean, honestly, you know, the average person would just be like, okay, which is which, and like, what's uh, going on? Like, I, I don't know, man. That is, that's a little much, I think. I think
3: that it does knows. work for the Alien slash Prometheus films because those are blockbusters, right? The people who see them aren't people who. Really care about all that stuff. They just want to see big, epic action sequences and stuff. That like I don't feel like the people who went to see Prometheus really cared about this story that much. You know, obviously the fans, the alien enthusiasts, cared about it, but the general public just saw it as a summer film.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
3: So after that, <sighs> we have the, This is some interesting news. Uh, it's it's kind of more of a rumor news, but uh, Bloody Disgusting reported that. Uh Robert England was interviewed recently, right? And he says that uh now this is pure speculation just based on some, you know, ideas that he has, but Red Carpet News sat down with uh Robert England and he kind of dropped this odd information. He's saying that it might be possible that Newline who's planning to remake a nightmare on elm street or at least another one is going to happen. They might be trying to do a remake of a nightmare on elm street part three dream warriors. And he says Uh, this because uh, apparently Tuesday night was approached to about something to do with the elm street films. Really? Yeah. So as we know, Patricia Arquette, played uh forget her name tina or no it wasn't tina what was it in the in part three and then tuesday night replaced her in part four i believe correct
1: yeah yeah um i'm having a brain fart right now i can't remember <laughs> what her name yeah, was yeah.
3: i can hear uh, her Patri- mom yelling Pat- at her
1: <laughs> you know but, but, but patricia arquette though like did they are uh, uh kirsten kirsten that's what her name was
3: yeah kirsten Kristen, Kirsten, right. Kristen. Same thing.
1: Kirsten, Kristen. I don't know. Those names are always. I always do that with those names, man. Yeah. There's so many pronunciations of like variations of that name. It's ridiculous. But yeah, Kristen. Yeah, that's what it is. Ooh. Um. What they were gonna? Are they trying to approach her? Because fat chance on getting her.
3: Well, <laughs> basically, England said that he has heard that. New Line has approached Tuesday night about something to do with the Elm Street films. So he, he thinks that they're going to remake part three, uh, Dream Warriors, which would make sense because that is definitely the best story. It's, it's the best mm-hmm. story that you can tell. Now, he does say that there's no way that they're going to ask him to play Freddy. But he does say that he would like to ha- maybe have a cameo as like maybe a doctor at the – Uh, hospital if they did it dream warriors style
1: i i just don't get this though why remake dream warriors why not just fucking do something else i don't know is it really is it really necessary to pick out a sequel you know and it's not by coincidence that they happen to pick the best one i mean (laughs) i understand that but why like what is the point of remaking dream warriors just do something new okay your first remake of Nightmare on Elm Street was a complete failure. I mean, most people can agree that. It made that. Money. I mean, to, to each their own. Yeah, there are some people that like that movie. But I'm pretty sure the people that do like that remake probably don't know a whole lot about the original franchise. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that. Um, I'll be a dick about it. Uh, but, okay. Now, they're thinking, okay, remaking this again. Maybe not. Maybe it's Dream Warriors. Why even bother? Why not just do something else? Like, yeah, it just seems it just seems more plausible just to say fuck this, stop remaking. Now they're remaking sequels. They're not even, <laughs> you know, they're not even trying to. I don't know, man. This just seems ridiculous to me. Well, it seems ridiculous. My, I mean, honestly, remaking Nightmare on Elm Street again makes more sense than doing Dream Warriors, to me. Okay, let me let know. me ask you this.
3: Let's say that this film is more along the lines of the Friday the Thirteenth remake in terms of. Freddy exists. We don't learn the backstory because we already know the backstory on Freddy. We're following a group of Elm Street kids who are in a psychiatric hospital because of the same reasons that they were in the original third film. And then that's it. That's the only correlation between the original Dream Warriors. Like, Is that is that then a remake of Dream Warriors or is that just like another Elm Street film?
1: Mm, no i i think i think no matter how you do i mean if you take that little simple premise kids in a psychiatric ward um that are all struggling from the same you know sleep issues nightmares that is technically a remake or or it's a reimagining reimagining of dream warriors you know you can change the name but if you take that little small premise you know just having it in the psychiatric ward with that type of thing i mean obviously they would Probably change the complete story around, but I mean, essentially, the it's there as a like a reimagination. So,
3: just okay. do something new. Well, let me ask you this then: In <sighs> Elm Street Part Four, right? Elm Street Part Four mm-hmm. follows a group of kids on Elm Street who are dreaming of Freddy, who was a villain in in the town. Isn't that technically just a remake of the original then? Because it's the same exact story.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get, I get what you're saying, but <laughs> or mean, is it okay. another
3: Elm Street? <laughs> so I can, I, mean, I know it's more specific with the hospital because the the hospital is more of a specific, yeah. different that, thing than the original exactly films. Yeah, you, I get you. You
1: take that little premise; it's just it's too specific to not call it like a reimagination of Dream Warriors and stuff. But yeah, I mean, i- I get what you're saying, but I mean, this right now, it it's so. It's so out in left field because, like, you know, Elm Street 4 was still part of the original franchise. They can do what the fuck they want. Now, the original franchise is over. We've had a reboot that, a remake that failed. And now, if you're going to do the same idea as uh, Dream Warriors, I don't know, man. I don't think it, I don't, I mean, maybe the younger generation will buy into it, but I just don't get it. Like, okay, just do something, just try to do something different with it. Just create something new. Why not? yeah i mean
3: try, I, i'm kind of with you like i look back at the elm street films and you have part one part two is its own entity then you have part three that was its thing was it was set in a psychiatric ward then you have part four that is really the only one that doesn't have a thing right there's no like plot point that is new part five the dream child it has to do with freddie invading the dreams of of uh, unborn child part six yeah. that's where Freddy's dead and they move out of elm street and they move to different places and it's it's wonky and stuff and then west craven's new nightmare completely different as well freddie versus jason obviously different so my thing is like elm street four really is the only film that is literally just like the same plot as like the first one it's just comedy wise and i was thinking like where do and you four. like like i'm kind of with you with like why not try something new like there's there's has to be there has to be brilliant people out there who have ideas like oh wouldn't it be cool to see freddy in like this way so i i'm mm-hmm. kind of with you even though at the same time like like i don't have faith but it like i have the smallest bit of more faith if they take something that is known as like super good. I, I don't know like cuz I feel like you have something better to work with if you're if you're working with something that succeeded already but they're just going to they would just well, fuck if, it well,
1: up Well of course of course but I don't know man so like you know so you know if they decided to try something completely new um and just kind of like you know, do do they disregard the remake completely and then just try like a whole, totally new story? You know, See, and that's like, the so problem with little...
3: these fucking remakes, dude. Is they I don't know, is... the whole point of them is to redo the series because it got too wonky and to you know then be able to make any number of yeah. sequels after that follow the the story from the beginning again, so you don't go down that wonky territory. But the problem I mean, is, is they won't could... fucking make any more of them. They won't make any sequels to them.
1: I know. Like, I mean, if they want to, you can totally do something new and still connect it to the original one. You just, you take, okay, you have this failed remake and you take what you had there and you start off another one, but you create a whole new story. You know, it's it's not a re, it's not Dream Warriors. It's not a reboot of that. It's, it's not part two. Um, just do something on, on their own. You know, it can still be connected to that original, you know, shitty remake. But you know what I'm saying? Just, you know, to, you can continue, you can have. Um, you know connected to that but then just create something brand new i I mean honestly this is what i like to see i like to see new and fresh ideas and i don't know why people are so hell-bent on like oh fuck yeah you know
3: yeah i'm with you dude. this is what i want i want them to all right freddy exists right he it, we already know the story it starts off with freddy already there We don't have to see the backstory. We don't have to see people, you know, and then we have kids there too. We have kids on Elm street. Let's follow a story following kids on Elm street who get invaded their, their dreams invaded by Freddy Krueger, who is already there. We don't need to see him again, go through the, you know, the, the burning origin story of him. Let's just make another Elm street. Cool dream sequences, a new group of kids that live on Elm street, make them unique characters, fun characters, and let's just have another elm street let's just see it play out another elm street that's all i want
1: exactly exactly and you know and you know at this point in the game though too you know you have this remake and you're trying to create something new why why not just really utilize that whole idea of creating something new you know put your own little uh ideas into you know the dream world and new rules and things like that why not just experiment i mean you already started this new fucking franchise anyways so just continue along
3: yeah all what you want to do is you want to go out there you want to get some (laughs) up-and-comer some young writer who who just has like brilliant ideas like flowing off of him because he's out there grinding somebody maybe like ty west maybe not ty west because he might be too much of a fan because then you don't want to have somebody that is a fan but not too much of a fan because then it gets fan boyish but i'm um, um, just get some young writer that has n- new and unique ideas that's what you got to do
1: exactly exactly yeah we'd be terrible writers for this
3: <laughs> yeah, honestly, I don't think that I could write an Elm Street film real good, to be honest. If I'm being honest, like, I feel like you need to have, like, this, this like, out-of-the-box imagination, like a Clive Barker.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, man. If I actually put my mind to it, I think I could probably come up with some pretty interesting ideas. It'd just be more of the fact of executing them to my liking, you know? hmm You know, like, how you can visualize things and, like... You know, you know for a fact this has happened many times to, you know, screenwriter screenwriters or some a writer slash director, and he writes this film and then he he directs this movie and it just turns out, out completely of how he imagined it, right? Yeah. You know, that would be like my worst nightmare. Writing this fucking screenplay or the script, right, and then adapting it and and it's just coming out so shitty. I'd be so fucking pissed off. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle it, but you know how it goes. I don't know. I but I think I think the whole dream world is it's very it's touchy, though, right? Because me and you have talked about this many times. You know, like you know, I understand the whole Nightmare on Elm Street franchise is is to do with dreams and Freddy coming into dreams and stuff like that. But you know, like we've talked in the past about you know dream sequences in films and like how fucking sometimes in films and. You know that's one thing that you just you can't fuck up in these ones. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. I'm just sure too many. Just too many movies doing ridiculous dream sequences. Now it's like I fucking dream inside a dream and <laughs> ah, fuck
2: off. Fucking
1: yeah. ruining that shit, man. You know, man. Dreams were cool when fucking Freddy in the '80s and shit. Fuck yeah. off with these dream inside a dream, and all of a sudden. It's dream inside a dream inside a dream. What the fuck? Seriously? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the next thing up is some interesting news, but I, it doesn't really sound
3: super up my alley. The CW is going to do another horror pilot. So their last pilot was Tells from the Dark Side, and we all know how that went. It didn't get picked up. So their next one, though, is going to be based on a novel by Clive Barker called Weave World. Now, this novel was from 1987, and it's supposed to be produced. I think Barker's on for producing as well, but I guess it follows – it's a modern take on whatever the story originally was. But now it follows an app designer who teams up with a young pastry chef who just discovered that – he is destined an to be an app the...
1: designer and a pastry chef yeah
3: he is destined to be the
1: good <laughs> well there's the obvious combination i mean fuck you couldn't i i, I that's so obvious it's yeah just so obvious. I, I really don't
3: know what significance <laughs> that
1: had to the like description that's, or whatever that just, that just totally cracked me up man it's just like okay the writer right there was like what, what's a really weird combination of people that we can put together Oh, an app designer and a pastry chef—that'll work. <laughs> <What the fuck? laughs> it's, so it's so stupid. Like, it's like it's two completely opposite spectrums of reality. You know, this well, is fucking. Funny. I think
3: that that was one of the key indications that I wouldn't like it. Is just by like I can see that it's goofy already by the that description. Yeah. Uh, By the fact that you highlight that in the description. But apparently one of them is (laughs) supposed to be destined to be the guardian of a mythological realm that can be accessed through the portal of an old Savannah mansion. They must fight together in an epic battle with evil forces that are vying for control of the magical world.
1: (laughs) Now it sounds like Clive Barker. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He
3: creates other worlds. He does that really fucking well, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah. But... Well, that's interesting.
3: It, whoever wrote this article on bloody disgusting also mentioned something that I was thinking. They basically said that it's you know anybody who knows the novel, which I don't, but I mean I know Clive Barker it says that it would probably be a little too ambitious for TV because it's a whole other world, right? Mm-hmm. And Hellraiser two o- was a little too ambitious. Like if you if the the Leviathan thing, like it, it really was like way more than they could really put to screen
1: yeah i mean this sounds like something that uh you know if you're gonna adapt this into maybe like a huge type lord of the rings trilogy hobbit trilogy type bullshit maybe bring on you know peter jackson to direct something like this because it sounds like it's really really big
3: guillermo (laughs) guillermo (laughs) direct a claude barker thing Exactly in, in a exactly. big budget style that would fucking be epic,
1: <laughs> but if just the storyline alone sounds like it could be like a huge epic like trilogy type. Yeah, it you does. Know what I'm saying like there just there's so many possibilities, with that that's pretty cool actually. No, I don't know, man. I'm sticking to it, man. You got Del Toro, um, Peter Jackson. Hey, man, come back to your horror roots and and adapt a uh, Clive Barker book into a fucking mass of. Uh, I guess it'd be. First Hollywood trilogy blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the stupidest thing I've ever heard, but nah, fuck that. Nah, I don't know. Yeah. So I'm always so curious about Clive Barker's stuff, man. I just fuck man, I wish something adapted, you know, the way it's supposed to be. The guy's almost too imaginative.
3: Yeah, you know what and I'm I've always it's kind like... of felt that way where he just the only person that truly gets Clive Barker's stuff is himself. Like he's Mm -hmm. really the only person that that can truly see it because even us as readers, we have our own interpretation of it, but he he sees something in a different way, man. And I've, I've always respected that immensely about about Clive Barker because he has this way of, you know, putting something in his head that is just beyond like the average human, like the, he thinks of concepts that that just go beyond you know
1: i i agree i agree man i i honestly gotta fucking read more clive barker stuff yeah. man i I really just gotta go out there and greet some of this stuff man because yeah i've heard from some people that have read most of his stuff and they, they said it's just amazing it's like really really cool i've always been so hung up on reading stephen king and
0: yeah you
1: yeah. know mainstream shit like that <laughs> yep yeah
3: i do too i do too as well but you know moving on from clive barker to another master of horror we have rob zombie who is supposed to produce a tv series for stars who stars recently have worked on that ash vs the evil dead for their tv network but this one is supposed to be with myla kunis rob zombie producing it is a half hour comedy series Written by the guys who wrote Arrested Development, and takes place over a single night in a home with a wealthy family under attack by a murderous cult. Zombie is also slated to direct, so it's a comedy horror.
1: Hmm. Mm. So, so like, is it kind of like an offbeat kind of home invasion film?
3: Sounds like attacked by like a.
1: Like a cult, but like, I, I, you know, like I've I've mentioned many times on the show before, home invasion scares me. I don't find it fucking funny at all, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, just 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 putting that combination together, you know, horror comedy, and even putting Rob Zombie next to that too, kind of freaks me out a little bit because, I mean, I mean, I guess he's dabbled in a little bit with El Super El Super Super beast oh Holy fuck, I can't talk. Um, so I mean, I mean, I've seen some comedy elements that he's done before, but. I don't know, man. Home invasion and comedy, uh, directed by Robs. I don't know, man. That sounds it sounds like a lot to you know take in at once. I don't know how yeah, to absorb it's a that weird. at all. It, it's it's a weird. weird. I don't really know how to. Yeah, it's strange.
3: The only other thing about that that I do find interesting is the fact that it's the series is supposed to take place all over the, a single night.
1: Which yeah, that's did you say did you say a mini series or like a like an actual? It's supposed whole to be series? a
3: half hour comedy series.
1: So, and, and did they say it like six episodes, 12 episodes? Like
3: It does not say. That's,
1: fuck, is that ever a weird they say premise, it's, man? They, they,
3: they, it, it says a full season. I don't, I don't know what that
1: means. Sometimes they're six <laughs> episodes, is, sometimes
3: and, they're 24.
1: <laughs> and I'm assuming this is just a uh, one season type thing. Uh, Obviously, you can't really stretch this into multiple seasons. It's like this, this corrupt fucking religious cult that invades like fucking I, I, some I, Christian family, and then they make a fucking comedy out of it. You <laughs> like, know it the, the thing? So fucking weird, man.
3: The thing that I think yeah. of when I think of like <laughs> making an entire show take place in one night is oh my god, the continuity guy who's supposed to look out for stuff, and oh my god, the uh, the 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 set designer and yeah. the uh, the person who does the the clothes i forget what they're called you know the <laughs> hey
1: yo carl the watch is on the left yeah that would be such a <laughs> hell of like God. little shit like that yeah. fucking pillow carl it's on the fucking left side well even <laughs> the even the
0: saying, the,
3: fuck? the costume designer fuck that's what it is the costume yeah. designer imagine having to like keep the clothes looking the same like if they get really? like, a hole in it or something yeah. it would just be
1: hell it's everything, though. It, n- the costumes aren't so much the pro- – unless they're getting all fucked up with blood and, and, and dirt and shit like that. But it's a lot to do is like, you know, facial um, – you know, for guys' facial hair and, you know, hair styles yeah. and stuff like that. Because if you're doing it over a whole season, it has to be trimmed and cut. You have to look the same because it's obviously throughout one night. Unless you're fucking Wolfman, you got fuck shadow or whatever. But <laughs> by, the end of the, by the end of the show. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, those type of things are the ones that are hard to do. That yeah, I've, sure. I, you know, that I would assume. So, yeah, um, I don't know, man. Like, well, like, what are your thoughts on this? Because I am, I just really don't I, confused by the whole premise. It's, it sounds so strange, but at the same time, I'm oddly intrigued because it is so strange.
3: My, know? my thing is, I just don't care to see zombie do comedy. I just don't. I, I like what zombies good at. Zombies good at horror, gritty, hardcore, raw horror. And if he would be good at comedy, I just don't. I maybe he would be, but I just would rather see him do what he's good at. What I know, what I have, what I've learned to love about him. I don't want to see him do comedy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I've never really even thought of him ever doing that. I never even you know.
3: Well, this is too odd much too effort because into it's,
1: it. It, it's strange.
3: It sounds like a director for hire job too, though. Like he might be producing, but. I'm not sure if he's writing. He's not writing. So that I think that's the first time we see Zombie do that. And this could be his yeah. attempt to get away from what he's want, wanting to be been get, getting away from for a long time. And that's his horror roots. He'd been wanting to do hockey movies and he wanted to do dramas and these different things. So maybe this is his first step into into walking away from what we love from him.
1: Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't read too much into it. I mean, I'm assuming that he's probably going to come back someday after he gets over the whole – I don't know. You know how Rob Zombie is, man. Lords of Salem, I think – I think that he let the critics get to him a little too much on that one. So maybe this is his his kind of like fuck you to the critics and he's kind of saying, well, but I'm going to take a different route for – <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was, I guess, but I mean, I I think the thing was with the Salem is that he really, truly believed that it was like, you know, a really great film. And and I think the feedback just really kind of got to him. You know, I, you know, I think it was just one of those things. I think with H2, I mean, we know that there was production problems and there was other things that were going on with that, with the whole production of that film. But I think with, you know, Lords of Salem, he had a lot more creative control and he felt like it was his film and it was really good. And, and when people fucking blasted it, because, you know, it, it, a lot of the critics just went to town on him, but I, I think it was also hearing it from the fans and, and shit like that. I don't know. It just got to him. And I think maybe this is his, uh. You know, go fuck yourself. I'm gonna try something different, and you know, I'm over it. I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) that's just how that's how I interpret it because it's such a fucking strange idea. I never thought I'd ever hear Rob Zombie uh, in the same sentence with TV and horror comedy.
3: Well, I'm sticking to what I originally thought because I really do think that he's he does not want to direct horror anymore. He literally said that he was trying to get other movies made. He thought of the 31 idea and instantly got it greenlit. So. I think that I think he's he's trying to find an out. He can't get movies made that aren't horror. So he's like, well, if I sh- have something on my palette that is a little different than horror, then uh, you know maybe people will see what I can do and they'll give me money. Well, it's
1: like, well, I mean, it's clever though. You know, ease into a different genre by doing a horror comedy. But you know, it's probably. I mean, I hope it's not like comedy horror. You know what I'm saying with horror elements. You know, yeah, cause a it sounds comedy, like is a little it different. is. Like a horror film with a little bit of comedy. But it's, it's actually comedy not horror. even
3: written as a horror. It's not even, the press release wasn't even as a horror film. It said a half hour comedy series.
1: <laughs> but then again, those press releases, I, I mean, they, they make me laugh sometimes. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen, but uh, I mean, we shouldn't prejudge. Who knows? It might be fucking hilarious. Who knows? I, I don't know.
3: Yeah, it probably know. will be, Who but knows? I'm just, I don't. I don't know. So after that, th- this is kind of the release section here. That's pretty much all the big news. So back in July, all the films announced that they were doing some slasher video titles that were all going to come out September 29th. Well, they've all been pushed back. So the yes, they have. Boarding House title will be released October 27th. And then all the other titles will be released November 17th. Those titles include Cemetery Sisters, Cinco de Mayo, Mayo, Death Nurse, Death Nurse 2, Shockem Dead, Splatter, Architects of Fear, Trashology, Deadly Prey, and The Deadliest Prey.
1: Yeah. So So I wonder what happened there. How every single title got pushed back. I mean, obviously, that's a weird one. It, it really kind of fucked up their
3: schedule too because they had that was the all of their September releases, right? And then they had a yeah. shit ton in October, so they're stuffing all these in October and November. Um, so yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know why they got pushed back. It, it, maybe it's because they tried releasing too many at once. I, I mean, but I don't know why they wouldn't just release like maybe if one or two of them were ready. I have no idea, but I don't yeah. really know much about any of these. I know I, I've seen Death Nurse like at least most of it and it was awful and the deadly prey oh. and the deadliest prey look like interesting to me have you seen those
1: uh i've seen deadly prey before um i know it's actually one of the most sought out vhs's around like it's so fucking rare and it's you know it's always on those vhs collectors things it's like if you gotta fucking you know you gotta find a copy deadliest Prey. pray um yeah i've never seen the sequel though um did you like but it? Everything. Deadly Praying? Yeah, it's fucking awesome, man. It's like, it's a straight up 80s uh, action film. It, it's, it's pretty awesome, though. It's pretty good shit. Um, yeah, like I said, never seen the sequel. Um, Shock and Dead, I've actually never seen before. And uh, um, I'm really looking for a killer workout. But as for all the other films, like The the Death Nurse and Cemetery Sisters and uh, Boarding House, I have all the original um, slasher video dvd releases so i'm not really looking for those I, I don't need to upgrade especially considering most of those are fucking shot on video and i can't imagine the transfers being like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know you know like i mean i can't imagine death nurse being holy fuck you gotta see death nurse on fucking blu-ray man <laughs> yeah, well death i'm pretty, nurse pretty sure that DVD conversation out, is like... never happening yeah. Oh, okay, is it? Okay, whatever. Yeah, so
3: you have uh, What, what, is, on, what is on Blu-ray? Okay, so you have Boarding House on DVD, Cemetery Sisters DVD, Cinco de Mayo Blu-ray, Death Nurse oh, DVD, Death Nurse 2 DVD, Shock 'Em Dead Blu-ray, Splatter DVD, Trashology Blu-ray, Deadly Prey Blu-ray, and Deadliest Prey Blu-ray.
1: Okay, so all the films that aren't shot on video are actually on Blu-ray then. Yeah, which makes <laughs> sense because when
3: they announced – remember, it was like last year they announced this. They picked up this. Yeah, yeah video library and i was like and they the press release said blu-ray it didn't say dvd and blu-ray
1: so i was like huh yeah i know remember we actually we talked about that and you're like isn't this movie shot on video? And I'm like, yeah. Like, that's fucking weird, man. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to put on Blu-ray. It's kind of stupid. But I mean, I mean, Sub-, Sub Rosa Studios has done that before, like with some of their like their older, early fucking 80s films that they've had limited Blu-ray releases for. They're like, shot on video on Blu-ray. It's just weird to me. Yeah, that's odd. <laughs> I don't know, because you can't really do anything with them. But mm-hmm. I don't know. The one I'm most excited for, I actually really want to watch Deadly's Pre- Deadly Prey again. But I really want to watch uh, Killer Workout though. Um, I'm, a, I'm I'm assuming that it's the cut version of it, right? Well, I'm hoping actually, that it is
3: the release that I got here um, from Bloody Disgusting. Where they, I did get a press release, but I, honestly, like I like I said, I rushed to get the news, so uh, I just grabbed a uh, Bloody Disgusting's version. But they did not have it listed, and unless I missed it, so I, I don't know if uh, Killer Workout has a different release date or Bloody just missed it. I can't remember if it was in our press release or not, so I don't know the stats mm. on that one.
1: Okay, is that uh, well, I mean, what is Killer Workout? Uh, it's also known as Aerobicide.
3: Is that the movie with Linnea Quigley, or am I thinking of something else?
1: The the one with Linnea Quigley, I believe, is Shock 'Em Dead. Oh. Is she in that one? Yeah. So yeah, Killer Workout is a slasher film that takes place in a gym. <laughs> right <laughs> killer workout it's clever isn't it um it's been so fucking long since i've i've seen that movie I, I really don't even remember it much like i remember kind of bits and pieces unless unless i'm getting it mixed up with something else but so i'm really stoked for that so fucking all the films you had to go and push that shit back on me i was getting all excited but at the same time i was like okay you know, a lot of these titles got pushed until November, and I was like, well, you know, it's not a bad thing because have you seen how many releases are coming out in October from like all these companies? I have. Holy fuck. They are pushing for Halloween this year. Holy The shit. only
3: title that I have like ready to go, already pre ordered, is Mosquito, and I'm fucking pumped.
1: Yeah, you know, actually, Synapse is releasing two Blu rays on the same day. Holy fuck, that must be a record for them. Manos is coming out the same day as Mosquito. So it's like, holy shit, Synapse, are you ever going to get to your Argento releases? I know. Probably not. I know. I'm getting, I'm getting impatient with this too. And I'm like, I've been putting off buying the Arrow versions for, well, ev- forever because, you know, I really want the Synapse ones. And I'm like, mm. Like, well, the thing is, I collect snap releases and like, if I buy the air ones, I'm going to buy the snaps and I'm like, fuck, I don't need to double dip. This is bullshit. But well, I'm getting to the point now, where I'm like, are these ever coming out? Like, this is getting fucking crazy. Well, you know, I, yeah. I, I know that there's, there, I don't know who released Suspiria in the UK. There was some company that did. I know that, I think there was like a Korean release of it too, but, but as for 10 and uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> I'm getting impatient, man. It, it's crazy. It's too long. And Phenomena, I mean, those those error releases are fucking nice. Mm-hmm. nice Snaps better be well, doing some big things with these ones man
3: one <laughs> one of the reasons why as i mentioned earlier in the show one of the things i wanted to do this year was watch more italian horror films and that's kind of one of the reasons i brought up you know that idea that i had that you know we might do or whatever but also you know i figured like because Synapse was releasing these Argento films, like I should wait. Like I shouldn't just delve into them early in the year because why not wait to see them in like the most glorious way possible? So they're really fucking delaying my Italian learning too.
1: Yeah, fuckers, eh? <laughs> Jesus.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So it's crazy.
3: I, I, honestly, I haven't been keeping up on what's coming out because we haven't did the the show dude like i forgot that like that's how i know about everything coming out the same way the listeners do like a lot of the listeners only wait on our show to know what's coming out zach always says that he listens he doesn't even look at news until he hears the show you know because we cover it and i totally missed everything that's coming out because we haven't been doing the show
1: i know right uh, it's been kind of hit and miss. Like September has been a little slower, but I th- I find that that happens every year though. And then October hits, and Screen Factory is like, well, you know, I'm gonna release this in box set. I'm gonna release the uh, or we're gonna release the fucking Human Centipede box set plus another six fucking titles. And Synapse is releasing two in the same month. It's like holy fucking. And then, you know, you got some Olive, and then it's just it's ridiculous, man.
3: And then you have like newer titles like, like Tremors Five.
1: Exactly. There's like a bunch of, like, there's a lot of shit coming out in October. It's fucking unbelievable. But it's all so planned. It's it's the month to buy horror films, right? Mm-hmm. So it makes a lot of sense. But Jesus, Scream Factory, can you try and burn a fucking bigger hole in everyone's pocket? I know. Like, fuck, really, two box sets in a matter of one week. It's like, ugh, I don't know. Yeah, I grabbed <laughs> but- 12
3: Scream Factories that I needed in that deep discount sale. And uh, I still need about 23 more to catch up. <laughs>
1: nice nice getting there so
3: yeah I'm, I'm whittling it down but it's still like a lot but anyway let's let's move on here we're getting a little side art exploitation announced three new titles the first one is yeah. G- the german oddity der bunker which does not really have <laughs> many information in the press release i don't even know when it's coming out but i did i did see a trailer <laughs> for it on their last release
1: I didn't watch a trailer, but like just from the stills of it, it looks fucking bizarre. Like I don't know, man. I'm really, I'm really excited for that release. It just looks weird. Yeah, I guess <laughs> Our it, exploitation is is putting out some really fucking weird films, man. Films, but yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: and then they announced two other films that are going to be uh, combined in one set, and it is a very interesting, odd one. The first one is called Chasing the Muse. And this one is an X-rated documentary. And then the second film is from that director who is nice. seventy years old or something, and it is uh what the hell is it called? Exhibition from nineteen seventy four, and it's I think it's literally a porno. So uh you're getting the guy's porno and then his upcoming documentary who follows him as he's looking for a new star for his porno. Like, I don't know, these sound so odd. <laughs>
1: I know and I was you know I I got the press releases for those they did not say not
3: safe for work
1: (laughs)
0: yeah right
1: yeah yeah and so I'm kind of looking at this and I I, I handed the wife the phone and I was like check this out and she's like okay and uh, I'm like well how do I go about reviewing a porno and like a porno documentary (laughs) she kind of laughs at me and she goes I don't know and I'm like how the fuck do you review porno yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like, it, like honestly, I've never thought about it before until I got that press release, and I was like, "Oh, I've never thought of this before. I never because like, wa- are
3: you reviewing the story? Porno
1: in a- Well, that's the thing. Like, I've never watched porno with a you know critical mindset. I've watched porno with KY in my hand. <laughs> I mean, really, like, that's all I'm doing. Maybe some Cheetos and KY, but never with the mindset of, oh, hey, I'm going to review this on a critical level.
3: The, the thing <laughs> like, that gives what? me a little bit of hope about it is that the 70s actually had, like, legit directors, maybe not legit directors, but people who actually had a little bit of talent creating actual films well, with porn.
1: That's the thing. In the 70s, porno was huge. They used to make porno movies, like, yeah. legit movies. Yeah, so I've seen a couple so, of them. I mean, yeah, I mean, I actually... Uh, yeah, I actually have a bunch too. Some of the Venger Syndrome pornos that they release and stuff, but which are pretty interesting. Um, but uh, you know, I never watch those with the mindset of going, well, I'm going to review this after. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so
1: that, really that'll be say, a man. fun
3: experiment for both me and you when we get those in in the mail. Yeah. Uh, those two come out October 6th uh, of 2015, obviously.
1: You know, I guess they kind of eased us into this, though, right? You know, with The Summer House, because yeah. I know we both recently reviewed that one, and I think we were relatively on the same page on that one. I think my rating was just a little bit lower than yours, but, yeah. um, you know, it's not a bad movie by any means. pretty well made, but it's just, you know, the theme to the film is, is you know, it's more of a drama, but it's, like, horror. Perfect theme, but I think what they're doing here is okay. <laughs> we're going to release this film that we its kind of like the warm-up piece towards the porno and then the porno documentary, you know, kind of. <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, when I watched <laughs> the Summer House, and I mentioned this in my review, I was just so relieved by the end of it that that there wasn't any situations where I felt like it was unnecessary or in danger to like the young actors involved. Because I really was a little nervous on like what they were going to do. You know what I mean?
1: Mm -hmm. and i was just
3: really relieved
1: were you afraid because it was like a german film yeah like like, i don't know the rules (laughs) because
3: i've seen some fucking you know if it's not directly like it's some shit that wouldn't get away with in the u.s you know what i mean so like like i was a little nervous about that i obviously knew that they weren't gonna like have sex with a child on camera or anything but you know i I didn't want the actual actor to be in any situation that i don't think they should have been in and for the most part they weren't so that's good
1: yeah, I mean, they they definitely, they they played them, like I said in my review, Like a, the movie's very softly executed, you know? It's it's not like, I don't know, I, I don't really want to get into it. It's not really yeah, much of yeah. a horror film, but it's, you know, the filmmakers, they really kind of softened though in the film a little bit, you know, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. You know, with
1: soundtrack and just the way they approached every scene and stuff. You know, like I said, it, there's even points in the film where I was getting kind of angry because the, the way the filmmakers... You know, approach the lead character. Um, I think his name is Mark. All right. And, you know, he, at times they were kind of leaning towards you to feel sympathetic for him because of his shitty life with his wife. And he doesn't really have a relationship with his daughter and stuff. And then I'm like, well, on the flip side, this guy is like out there cheating with other dudes and trying to start a relationship with a 12 year old oh, no, boy. It,
3: it was totally and I'm like, as you, you were know, supposed to feel sympathetic for him. Like, that's ex- that's. Yeah, that it was and, supposed to
1: be. And I honestly did. But, for a I second. think what, it's weird. Yeah, I know. And like, I wasn't buying into it. Like, I mean, because I knew that you're not supposed to. And. I don't know, man. I think the filmmakers did a good job, but that. just, I don't know. I, I had certain yeah. little, little things. I really, really detested the music in the film, though. It just felt like, I don't know if you watched my review, but I said in my review that the music felt to me like elevator slash kind of afternoon, you know, Greek um, shopping music. At times, and I was just like, Ugh. The, the music cues in the film were fucking. It, it was agitating me, <laughs> you know. Because like, I don't know, if you guys, you know, listen to my reviews or watch my reviews. So I always bring up music because what music is just a big part of my life, and I always notice it in films, you know, whether it's good or bad or whatever. And that just was driving me nuts in the film, man. Ugh, I don't. Know. But I guess we'll move on from the summer house. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So talking about grown men trying to get with twelve-year-old boys. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well if if you listen to our uh mini shots we t- we talked a little bit about that as well when we got into Victor Salva and and uh, that mm, was pretty mm. funny <laughs> but uh so the final little bit of news here is the company or exploitation who we were just previously talking about announced one more film and that film uh is supposed to be pretty good actually it is called children of the night and uh this is a south american film involving Ar- argentinian vampires uh, it's supposed to be creepy bloody and even funny and uh, it's it's supposed to be really original from what the press release said Uh sound sounds pretty cool honestly like I love I love this exploitation company because they put out all these like. Like these these films from other countries that that you know, honestly, like we might have had issues with the Summer House. It was still a good movie. And for the most part, all of the ones we've yeah. really talked about we've liked. Their samurai was such a weird movie, Horsehead. Like I mean so I'm I'm honestly looking forward to it because the press release sounded pretty cool. That one also comes out October sixth as well. So yeah, two. two releases October
1: sixth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're definitely a company that I'm I, I get excited for when I get the press releases. Because I never know what I'm going to open up to. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I got that one, it was like Debunker And I was looking at the still. And I'm like, okay. And then Porno. And I'm like, this is fucking crazy, man. It just went from the Summer House to this. And, you know, I haven't seen some of the earlier, earlier titles. Everything from about mid-time. Like 10 up, I guess I've seen. From, if you don't know what I mean. They now number- releases. i mean, from like number 10 all the way to the current release. Yeah, and but they fucked seen, up.
3: But- There's no number 20. <laughs> they go from 19 yeah. to 21.
1: I'm wondering if they, if one of these releases that's coming out is number 20. I know companies do that every once in a while. Like if you notice, I know you're not a big fan of Kodra, but but they do that all the time too. Like like number four or number 12 Blu-ray, and then also it was like number 22, and then it was like number 56. And I was like, what the fuck is with that man? So weird.
3: Well, if you think about it, it makes sense, right? Because when you when you're going through production, you have all these moving parts, and most of the time you have the discs and stuff already starting to be produced and then something might happen where you get caught yeah. up and you're not going to change the whole cover art in order to change the number. Right. So I, I hope that that's the case. I hope that that's the case yeah. because it would it, be really annoying if they just skip the <clears> number. <throat> and I will say that, uh, you know, like you said, opening up an email, seeing like what they're doing, like it's so, it, it really is like so interesting to me. I mentioned this on that many shots at me uh, that we recorded and it was like, cult epics and art exploitation are really my companies this year because of just the oddities that we're seeing. they're just so odd the releases are are, are really odd and like you i haven't went back and checked out uh the first lineup i do own them all but i haven't had a chance to really go and that was the other thing that i was considering doing for the 31 days of horror was half of it be art exploitation but i ended up not doing that because i know that some of the films aren't horror films so i didn't really want to you know, pigeonhole myself into doing that and then regret
1: it afterwards. Alrighty, so moving into uh, Mood Swings and the uh, September 29th, 2015 DVD and Blu-ray releases. Um, yeah, there's actually quite a few this week. And um, kind of a relatively slow month. Uh, of course, every September kind of slows down because they push everything into October and uh, yeah, it just goes shit with the releases and into October. So, but, you know, and of the 29th, I guess, is relatively October, so why not put out lots there? Anyways, the first one on the list here is one that when it first got announced, I actually laughed out loud by myself. And, uh, it's the Blu-ray release of Christine. Uh, from, I believe, Sony's putting this out. And, like, it just made me laugh so hard because, you know, still people that are going out there and buying the fucking Twilight Times. And and this one right here is cheap as shit. I, well, actually, on Amazon.com, it's saying, oh, it's 14 It's like 15 bucks for the Blu-ray. You know, you can't beat that. Imagine the transfer. Do we know anything about this transfer? Have you heard anything?
3: No, no, actually, I haven't.
1: Okay. I think it's the same transfer, be
3: pre- though, because Sony Sony owned the film, so twilight time yeah, just yeah. you know licensed it from them so I, I mean it would have to be sony's transfer
1: yeah fuck that's awesome man but yeah to pick it up for 15 bucks what a kick in the fucking teeth for everyone else <laughs> i mean fuck. I, I, it's just so awesome uh, serves anyways, them right up too, here because, we gotta...
3: oh sorry it's gonna hurt twilight times future sales right because they're gonna everybody's gonna be like well fuck if if there, if it's possible that something's just gonna get re-released and i'm I'm not fucking spending 30 dollars oh
1: exactly exactly yeah um yeah so next up here uh in the u.s this is getting a release from universal i know in canada this is actually being released by anchor bay canada because i got the uh the press release the other day and it's a film called cop car uh with kevin bacon um but so this one actually yeah this one actually sounds pretty damn fucking pretty cool man uh just the premise i don't know about these guys uh they basically uh, i think it's about a couple kids that they find a cop car like in the field it was not it was not abandoned but it was empty and they take it for a joyride and uh yeah i don't know and they just they end up going on some kind of cat and mouse chase with this with with this cop and stuff i it just sounded really cool i was like fuck yeah man who doesn't want to take a cop car for a joyride that'd be pretty sweet (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> but it just I, I just loved it. I like reading the press release. I'm like cop card, and I I looked at who was in it. and I was like, Kevin Bacon's in this? What the fuck? I don't know. It was weird. Uh, if you're into the TV show Grimm, we got uh, season four on Blu-ray. Never seen it. Have you seen it before?
3: no don't know anything about it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, this is a movie right here that I've never seen. I've always wanted to check it out, though. Uh, it's being released by Criterion, and it's called The Honeymoon Killers. Um, when did this movie come out? I think it was like in the early 70s, I want to say. I think it's the 70s one. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Criterion released in The Honeymoon Killers. You can't go wrong with that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, You know, originally this movie was supposed to come out September 29th uh, from Scream Factory, and it's called Jack's Back. Um, it is not being released September 29th. I believe it got pushed to like November, December or something like that. I don't know. It, anyways, it got pushed back. That's a Scream uh, Factory? Yeah.
3: How did I never hear yeah. this?
1: I don't remember this Yeah, one. it's a Scream f- Yeah, it's, uh, I, I completely forgot that it got pushed back and I was checking out the releases here and I was like, wait a minute. So I did some research and it says like on the Wikipedia page, I think it's coming out like in,
3: huh?
1: you know, in a few months anyways, but I don't know. Jack's back with James Spader. Oddly enough, I watched him on uh, Jimmy Fallon last night. I don't know why I brought that up, but I just happened to see James Spader on the Jimmy Fallon. Um, Then we got uh, Poltergeist, the extended cut. So the remake of Poltergeist uh, is coming out on Blu-ray. I'm actually kind of curious to check it out. You know, it's the extended cut. I don't know. Does that mean it's going to be obviously unrated? Maybe it's better. (laughs) I don't know, know, man. I didn't see the remake. You never seen it, did you? uh,
3: No, but that's another that we was just talking about off air. That is another now franchise because if I believe our rule is three is a trilogy and you don't hit a franchise until you have four. So Paul exactly. is – says, but but let me ask you a question, Muds. Sorry, sorry to get off topic mm. real quick, but now what if you are there's three films and a TV show? Is that then a franchise?
1: Hmm. Well, let me ask you a question. Okay. And I don't mean to sound like an asshole asking a question. You know, from a question, uh, but, uh, you know, like if you're doing a franchise show, um, would you include like the, you know, the TV movie or whatever? Say if we were to do Psycho, are we going to like if we were going to do the Psycho franchise, are we including the Bates Motel? the
3: The TV show Film? or the TV
1: movie? The TV movie.
3: I would say, yeah. And and honestly, the only reason like I like to do it is because when we do these episodes, I like them to be like these complete like archival like
0: mm-hmm.
3: like things that people can go back to and it's like it covers the yeah. franchise in a whole as much as possible. I know that we're not going to be able to review an entire TV show on, on a franchise show but I, yeah. I think that including the TV movie and the awful remake would be uh, good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I totally agree because there's, there's absolutely no way that we could, you know, review Bates Motel. Like, I mean, what are they in season four now? Um, <laughs> oddly enough, I got season two in the mail today because I found it for super cheap. So, you know, I'm collecting all these TV series. Like I always talk about and I never fucking watch them. So, you know, just hoarding at its best, but no, I'm actually, you know, since I've got a little more time at nighttime now well, I, won't have a whole lot in October now, but I, I'm, my plan is to get into some of these shows. I want to start American Horror Story and Bates Motel and stuff. So that's why I picked yeah, it up. me but. too.
3: I really want to do, do get back into Bates Motel. Cause I, I love the first season. Right. And, yeah. um, I started watching the second season and I like that as well, but then I kind of fell off. So, uh, yeah, I definitely need to I, pick those up.
1: Hmm. Uh, yeah. Moving along here. Next uh, release here we got is called Savage Weekend. Um, Man, I haven't seen this movie in years and Kino is releasing this one. Um, I remember this movie being really fucking bad. <laughs> really, really bad but it's got it's got really it's got really awesome cover art though
0: but that's um, the thing I'm really right
1: curious to see the, those... the, yeah I'm curious to see the transfer on this because I actually have like a really old DVD like it's almost like a bootleg it's not a bootleg but it, I don't know the cover is terrible and in the transfer shit too but you know sometimes like when you watch a film like we've talked about this many times before and you watch a film with a really bad transfer and you're like you can't enjoy it as much and then you mm-hmm. check it out again you're like well, eh, it's more enjoyable it's still a shitty movie but you know the transfer was good <laughs> yeah
0: but
3: you know. that's kind of what I was saying about like companies wi- releasing these like retro horror films. Like the, some of them are bad, right? But but somehow seeing a company give like a, a nice treatment to this like oddity horror film from the 80s or the 70s that from what you remember sucks. It almost does make you enjoy it a little bit more, right? Like when you're watching it in like a new like era and in a new way with HD.
1: Yeah. It's It's odd. Because- it is odd, yeah, and I don't know, man. Hopefully, hopefully, it you know turns out to be better because I am going to grab that one because it's got a pretty awesome cover art, man. You can't you can't deny that. So, uh, but uh, moving along here from Wild Eye, we've got a movie with a really strange title. It's called "Three's a Shroud." What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. What is that? Like, mean? I'm looking at I'm looking at the cover going. Okay, I see a quote that says a chilling creep fest, and it's like three's a shroud. I'm like, and it looks like a ghostly. Yeah, like the, I don't know the the what the is fuck a, a shroud, shroud is or a shroud or a shroud. I don't know. Um, it's been released by Wild Eye, and you know they can be very, very hit and miss with their films, but <laughs> who fucking knows? Um, next up here from Unearth Films, we've got a movie called Creeper. Ugh. you know Unearth is another company that's. Uh, releases some really interesting films and they release some bad ones too, but I don't really know what to think of. I don't even know what I just judging by that cover. What like, what the fuck is that? It, what is this about <laughs> right there? You know, you kind of look at it and you go, I don't know. Maybe like a torture, that torture porn word that we always love. I don't know. But unearthed films, film called creeper. Who knows? Um, Moving along here. We got one called Dealer. Now I don't know what in the shit this one's about right here. Um, being released by oh, it's Artsploitation. so that makes sense. So it's probably some weird wacky. Wait, how really? come we don't have? Yeah, maybe this is number twenty. Maybe this is number twenty right here. Huh. And I'm going. I never, I never got the press release on this. Maybe this one got pushed back too. Yeah, that's odd. But anyways,
3: I hope we get so, it because that's I haven't heard anything about it.
1: Yeah, no, i it's clicking on this, but yeah, dealer being released by Exploitation um french dope best dope
3: oh that sounds awesome
1: (laughs) we know somebody that we know somebody that would love that tagline right there yeah (laughs) uh (laughs) okay so this one right here oh my god i was like going through the the releases and this one i made me laugh out loud just because the cover is so bad it's like a combination of like a really bad 90s cover with some bad like 2015 kind of incorporated, computer-generated picture. I don't know. uh, By Leo Mark Studios. I don't even know if that's real, but it's called Death's Door. (laughs) I don't know if the is so fucking bad. You know, like, we always talk about those 90s covers where it's just, like, all the the main characters' heads on the cover and shit like that. Well, this one kind of represents that a little bit. It's them in the bottom and then it's got some really cheesy effects. I don't know. It looks fucking terrible. I see Tiny Listers in the film, too. It's pretty fucking bad. You know, um... (laughs) Some of these releases are just so ridiculous. Uh moving along here we got one called Lord Dracula, Lord of the Damned. Yeah. That's pretty and generic. of course that one has been <laughs> and it's been released by Wild Eye Releasing. Um Yep, they Dracula are really Lord is just
3: like like hit and miss is is like the perfect way to describe them because they'll put out some fun <clears throat> stuff and then they put out some god awful stuff.
1: Yeah, you really do, man. It's so strange. And yeah, I, I've never heard of this show before. I or maybe I have. No, I think I've heard of the show, but I just I completely had forgotten about it, apparently. Um, but it's called iZombie. Uh season one is coming out on well, it's this DVD. Maybe this Blu-ray. I don't know. DVD. Um, do you know much about iZombie?
3: Is that the sci-fi one?
1: Sci-fi I'm assuming now? probably probably, yeah.
3: Yeah, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: man there's so much horror television shows man this is fucking and crazy. we are
3: so out of the loop too right like people come up to people at, like at work will talk about a horror tv show and i'm like huh, <laughs> you know like we don't like for being so into horror like just straight up like horror like live breathe die horror and none yeah. of us watch tv <laughs> tv horror
1: i know i fucking well, it, meant it's... to watch
3: Dream queens and forgot about it
1: you know, I think it's like the new ones, though. You know, like all the older ones, oh, like yeah. I could talk about those, yeah. but, you know, it's just, it's so flooded now with TV shows. It, there's just no time to watch them all. It's it's fucking crazy.
3: Yeah, but I love it. Um, not But yeah, I'm at all.
1: Oh, yeah. Totally, totally. 100%. You know, good on the people that are watching all these things for sure, but, you know, I just don't have the time to do it, but... Um, well, of course, this one right here is also being released by Wild Eye Releasing, and it's called Killing Brook, and I'm pretty sure... <laughs> the tagline on it the honeymoon is over. And it's got those chicks hiding behind a tree and it's got some skinny ass dude holding a chain. <laughs> so, <laughs> the covers so bad, but but fucking Wild Eye again, man. Holy shit, they're on a rampage. Like, yeah, can we they have do that sometimes. I remember
3: when I did a mini shots a while ago, I was like, you know, I did your segment with the the you know releases and I was just going through and I'd be like, Oh, that's Wild Eye. Oh, that's Wild Eye too. Oh, that's what it was like it was like five releases in a week and I was like what the fuck is with all these wild eyes?
1: You know, it's so fucking funny about wild eye though. When wild eye first started, they used to number their spines and what? they've been releasing so much stuff. I think they just forgot. And they're just like, okay, we can't number these anymore because we have no idea where we are.
3: Yeah. Once you get four <laughs> digit, like if the number's not going to fit anymore.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, so moving along film from, uh, I believe Brink. Yeah. Brink released this one. It's called last girl. Oh, man, the tagline in here made me laugh so hard. It's my movie, Your Funeral. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) That is so fucking, that's so cheesy. Uh, I know it's got a bunch of indie awards or uh, whatever. Yeah, from uh, another one from Wild Eye released in here. Wow, Wild Eye is just really holding it down, aren't they? And it's called Queen Crab.
3: Oh, yeah. We got press release. That's the only one out of all those titles I got press release for.
1: Yeah, me me too, man. That's fucked. Hey? They, they <laughs> needed
3: they, like I love Justin Cook or whatever the PR agent's name is. but <laughs> it, Well, uh, let's be honest. Who could keep up with all those? We can't really blame him.
1: Yeah, exactly. But to be honest, I wouldn't mind actually watching Killing Brook. I mean slasher film. You know, like yes. my slashers. But, uh, yeah, moving along here. Rebound is another film here that's being released in studio indie rights. Yeah, I'm sure that's real studio. Uh, Rebound. Um, yeah, it's uh, really, really bad cover art. Just a hand with that's tied in rope. Mm, very exciting. Very exciting stuff. Don't know anything about it. Never heard of it. And mm, second to last one I've got here is um, released by E1, and it's called Scared yeah and i'm pretty sure that's another slasher film um i do have one more it's not on this list but i have it sitting right in front of me and it's called a plague so pleasant released by wild eye releasing this movie is actually coming out on september 29th also the same day as queen crab and all gotta those
3: be a record other
1: dude. that is incredible man what was it, like seven releases on the same day it's ridiculous man <laughs> Wow, jesus uh, well, but yeah, I gotta so ask you: What is yeah. your release of the week in that week? Oh, oh, I didn't even think about this. Um, well, I mean, if we're just going on film itself, yeah. But then again, there's a criterion in here. Like, how do I pick this? You know, mm-hmm. criterion versus you know a classic carpenter or you know some potential. Indie classics released by Wild Eye Releasing. Oh yeah, (laughs) and I totally said that without laughing too. (laughs) Who are you gonna go with?
3: Who are you gonna go with?
1: I'm going to go, and the reason why I'm doing this is because this is you know the best shit bang for your buck. You got to go with Sony's release of Christine.
3: I'm right with you, bro. I'm right with you because honestly, it's 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 a great Carpenter film. You can't go wrong with Carpenter. It's well priced and. It's a big fuck you to Twilight Time, which is like even <laughs> even the icing on on the cake. That is definitely the release of the week.
1: Yeah, man. Just next, they got to fucking you know put out Fright Night now. You know that's the next one. Be so good, so good. But yeah, Christine, how can you pass that up? Fifteen bucks, like, that's amazing. So good yeah <clears throat> alright so yeah that's going to do it for the DVD and Blu-ray releases for September 29, 2015 um, do we got some uh, do we got some voicemails JP
3: yeah we have a few voicemails mostly from Rob from Georgia which is is something new because normally it's mostly from Derek but yeah so first up we will actually play one from Derek
5: though hey guys Derek here as usual very sad that we lost Wes Craven this week
0: <laughs> we're a little late just
5: sucks, really. I know you guys did like all your tributes and you're doing the tribute tonight to uh, I did a tribute video for him on Monday myself. I was just wondering, have you guys ever read his novel, Found Society? It's actually very underrated in my opinion. It's actually interesting like story and structure because he did start out as writing was his main love. And also, uh, I know he had a comic book with uh Stephen Niles coming of Rage. Stephen Niles is the guy who created 30 Days a Night. I was... I never read it. I'm just wondering if you guys ever did it. Because I'm interested in it. See what it's about and stuff. And Yeah, I'm going to be doing my tribute to West in October. Because... Like I said in my video, if you guys watched it, just gonna kind of collect some, some titles that I don't own that I want to see, like some of his lesser known films. I was just wondering if you guys have any suggestions of like titles and this is lesser known, which ones you want me, would you recommend people to watch? Have opinions on. That's all. Thank you guys and stay horror,
1: wicked awesome. Peace out.
3: All right, so a couple things there. Derek <sighs> mentions Wes Craven's book. Have you read it?
1: No, I have not read it, and you know i really got to make a point of reading that now. Yeah, I really do. And, you yeah. know, it's it's one thing about Wes Craven that I've always adored about him is that you know he was, you know, he wasn't just a horror director; he was. He was a really articulate person. You know, he was once a teacher and, you know, he's just, he was a very intelligent person, you know? And, uh, I think a lot of people kind of forget that about him though, you know, kind of associate Wes Craven with, you know, last house on the left and kind of gritty and grimy things. And, Horror films, but he was, you know, generally a really intelligent and, you know, ultimately super nice guy. I mean, just watching interviews with Wes Craven, it's just one thing about him and some of the ideas and some of the things that he did in his career. And you kind of look at him and you hear him talk and you go, wow, it's really amazing that it actually came from him. You know, I mean, I know it's a stereotype. You know, it's like you expect like last house on the left to come from some fucking grimy piece of shit, fucking whatever. But you know, it's not the case with West Craven. And what I was leading to here is I, I think that reading his book would just be awesome. Just a little more insight into his, um, you know, his mentality and stuff. So,
3: yeah, I've I've actually never. Read I'm really it.
1: looking forward to reading that someday.
3: <laughs> read it either, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk. Sorry about that. <laughs> we'll talk about uh, Wes Craven a little later, but hold your turn. <laughs> wait your turn, Rob. Come on. <laughs> yeah, Rob, calm down. there. You, I know you sent in three voicemails, but Rob. I mean, down. you gotta you gotta wait your turn. This this is Derek's time to shine. So uh, you know, Derek mentions what he he actually mentions that he's going to do the thirty one days of horror, and he wants to do some Wes Craven in that. Uh, and he said, "What what are some?" But he wants to touch on a few of his lesser. Uh, talked about films. Uh, what what would you recommend?
1: Um, are we talking about directed films? I mean, I would assume so, right? Either
3: or. Not produced, mm-hmm. obviously, because that's like the least. Yeah,
1: amount. I mean, you know me, I always like to focus on, you know, things that, you know, he was, you know, directing, um, mm. you know. Uh, lesser known Wes Craven films. I mean, is there really that many super less or known West Craven films. I guess um, lesser
3: talked about is kind of what he was saying.
1: Lesser talked about, yeah. Um, you know, the first one that comes to my mind right away is Deadly Friend. Um, definitely one that doesn't get mentioned a whole lot. Um, you know, obviously West Craven has yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street and, you know, Last Scream. House and Left, Hills Have Eyes, Scream. Th- those films are just, you know, they're, they're just associated. You hear West Craven, you think of those films right away. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's like, you know, obviously... Nightmare in Elm Street but uh Deadly Friend I think is it's just an underrated film it's a fun film it's not like a it's not like an amazing film but it's it's definitely worth checking out it's it's a really fun one of course you know Supreme Factory just releasing Shocker which I have not even watched the blu-ray yet uh, but I love Shocker I mean you know you know I just I've always kind of shocked people by <laughs> telling them how much I actually like Shocker but you know because it's very very much like a really kind of Shit version of Nightmare on Elm Street in a way. Without <laughs> going too much into it, you know, it it, it definitely takes ideas from Nightmare in Elm Street, but Shocker's fun. Horace Maker's such a badass killer, but uh, um, I don't know, man. I would like to see one day maybe Chiller get a, a decent release because I have a DVD of Chiller. It's a TV movie from I believe eighty five. And uh, all the transfers and versions I've seen of it are just terrible. It's not a great film, but then again, I don't know if I'm fully getting to enjoy it because of the shitty transfers that I keep watching. Um, and you've seen Chiller before, right? That's JP? actually
3: one of the very few mm. Wes Craven films I still haven't seen. I think that there is uh, just just a few. Just a few that I haven't seen. Two or three. Not including his non-horror and porno. Uh, but... Yeah, that's one that I I did want to see, and it would be cool for it to get like a Blu-ray or something or a, a good treatment. I think that's a TV movie, correct?
1: What that chiller? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a TV movie. You bet, man. Um, actually, he did like a bunch of TV movies. You know, in the first or in the eighties, he did tons of them. Actually, he was involved with. It, so I know Invitation to Hell was another TV film. Yep. That he had done, too. Um, I don't know if I could fully recommend Invitation. I mean, it's definitely worth the watch. I mean, what are your thoughts on that one?
3: Uh, I reviewed it on this podcast before. I, I think I came in at about a five.
1: Oh, yeah, you did, too. Man, we talked about way too many movies. I can't <laughs> fucking remember. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean. And, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously, before Screen Factory released Deadly Blessing, you know, it was definitely a very, very kind of yeah, forgotten West Craven film. Yeah, because you couldn't West see, it. You film. Could see it.
3: Because it, was, it wasn't on it, DVD.
1: Exactly, Exactly. Um Deadly Blessing, I think we've probably watched that movie way too many fucking times yeah, now. Yeah. So you know, it, it it's a it's a good movie. It's not like fantastic or anything. It definitely has its moments, but it has uh, its
3: fans you know, too though. A lot of people do like yeah, that
1: movie. It does. It does. Yeah, it definitely has its fans. So but... so
3: those are some lesser known ones lesser talked about ones, but the the yeah. two that I would throw in into the ring here is uh Vampire in Brooklyn. Nobody really (laughs) talks about that one and I recently seen it for the first time and the other one is Stranger in Our House aka Summer of Fear, which I'll talk about later so I'm not going to go into it. Uh, I I will want to throw this out there too, Derek. There was an article posted on Bloody Disgusting ranking Wes Craven's films, all of them, including his non-horror film, The Music Something or whatever it was called, and his porno. So – I recommend reading that because it it gives you a little bit of uh, insight on all of his films. I will say that the guy who wrote that list – has like the worst taste in horror movies. Cause I was like opposite on almost everything in that list. Like I was like, Mm. every time a title came up, I was like, well, I would have had that way higher. Well, I would have had that way lower, you know? So it it was like a really like conflicting list that I would have had with his, but uh, I love that idea. I I would love to do like a ranking of all Wes Craven's movies. I don't even know how you see the firework woman or whatever. I hear that has incestual, tones in it though which it's a porno so that's interesting
1: <laughs> mm. interesting have you ever seen um you probably haven't but uh he he did a short on a like an anthology film i think it was like 20 short films and it's called paris paris g to, to, I, mean, I don't know it's french yeah i um, haven't you ever heard of
3: that it. before i i had that I was actually- in that list as well
1: yeah, I actually have this and I've never watched it before. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just, I kind of always forgot about it, but I do actually have a DVD copy of this. Um, So I should actually check it out sometime, but it, I always thought it was interesting that there was 20 shorts on it. It's crazy. <laughs> like That's a lot of shorts, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
3: Uh, I mean, for. I, yeah. So I, I do want to grab like the few West Craven films that I don't own left. I think Chiller is one of them. And uh, there's another one that has never been released on DVD that I need, and I can't remember the name. But other than that, I, I have most of his films, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I think I'm just missing. Um, I have invitation, invitation to hell. I I want to say maybe summer. Of Fear. I actually don't think I have a copy of Summer of Fear. I want to say maybe I don't. I think that's yeah, it's out I'm of missing. Paint. Oh, and actually, actually no, lipstick. actually no. I'm lying. I'm totally lying. I'm I don't have Red Eye. Mm. I which that. I believe, uh, which I believe is a, um, it's a remake though, isn't it? Like of the of the Asian Red Eye f- film. Have you seen Red Eye? Uh, West Crave. No, I, I actually have never seen this movie before.
3: Interesting. I think you should check that one out, dude. It's honestly one of my it's, favorite West
1: Cravens. Is it actually okay? I, it's I don't a thriller. I always, it's like always, a
3: Hitchcockian type thriller, not Hitchcock, okay. obviously. But it, it's, See, it's I, like – I always
1: wondered if it was like a techniques. remake of the Asian red eye film that takes place on a plane. So is this like the American version what, that what takes place on a Asian on a bus? What, well, what happens I don't in
3: wanna... the Asian film? Just like the brief plot.
1: Ah uh, fuck, I can't even remember.
3: Uh, well, the, this one <laughs> I doubt I it's a re- I, I doubt It's been it a reason. long time. This one takes place place in a plane as well and but it's a thriller. It's, oh, it's on a plane. Yeah. Okay. It's about like a like it, it, it's
1: weird though cuz i swear these movies came out around the same time too like i'd have to refresh my memory on red eye. i can't fucking remember it um no red eye takes place on a uh it's on a fucking train oh. i think it's on a train actually it <laughs> has been so long it's so funny so this one's on a plane okay i think that's what it is but yeah i i always thought that it was like a remake and i just i don't know kind of forgot all about it i guess but i have to check it out i mean i i'm pretty sure you can get that one for super cheap though right
3: yeah red eye is real cheap
1: Yeah, and so that one right there, and uh, Summer of Fear, I gotta, I gotta seek out, man.
3: Yeah, Summer (laughs) of Fear is out of print, a little bit hard to get, but I ended up finding it for about seven bucks, like a month ago,
1: two months ago. Mm Hmm. Cool. Well, I hope uh, hope that helps, uh, Derek. Um. Anyways, yeah, good luck with your uh, your West Craven. Reviews or whatever you're doing, and I, I, he said he was going to do those in the middle of the 31 days of horror, or is he just going to kind of yeah, I, th- I s- think
3: that's something what he like that. said Part okay. of that, all right. Uh, so moving on to Rob's uh, voicemails. This is this is funny. This is how you know we haven't did the show in, in a few weeks <laughs> because we have we have like a weekly update from Rob. So here it is.
2: Hey guys, Rob from Georgia calling. Uh, just uh, well, another unscripted call. Got a few things on my mind, and with this first uh, NFL weekend almost at a close, thought I would call in uh, sort of uh, off-cuff and uh, just uh, throw a, thing, a few things out there. First of all, hey, moves we got our first win, and we can hold our heads up high. That defense was freaking awesome. I can't remember <laughs> the last time that defense played that good. And uh, yeah. I'm probably more stoked than ever uh, to get Brady and company into that stadium on Sunday. I'm so stoked. I almost want to pack up everything and leave Georgia and go back home to Buffalo just so I can enjoy <clears> this year. Uh, I am really stoked about this, and uh, hopefully it uh, won't be short-lived. Uh, second, um, when are these studios, or these distribution companies, I should say, when are they going to stop screwing us over? You know, I got so stoked over the summer for the uh, the black and white silent cut version of Mad Max Fury Road, and here we find out that uh, they decided to uh, leave it off, the Blu-ray, when they promised over the summer that we were going to get it. Um, So I didn't buy it, and I'm not going to buy it. I'm sick and tired Mm. of getting my hopes up for something. as simple as this, and then finding out, oh, we got to wait in uh, uh, six, eight months or whatever a year to double dip. Uh, Screw that. I'm not double-dipping. I won't buy it, and I'll I'll wait. But I'm tired. You know, we had better... Uh, better luck with DVDs in their heyday, with extras and commentaries and all that. I got DVDs that got more crap on one disc than most Blu-rays come with three discs in their set. Uh, not, uh, the thing, for one, is a great DVD packed with a ton of crap. So, I just meant it.
3: Alright, so his voicemail kinda cuts off there. He he follows up with another one. But uh first of all, NFL week one, those who don't know, in our group page we have a pick'em league going on. There's twenty two of us, I believe. Every week we do our picks and uh the first week Buffalo kinda killed it, right? So uh <laughs> yeah. everybody was like, Brady, you're going down and you know, they did put up a good fight.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't looking there. It wasn't looking very good there for a while. But man, they made a pretty decent comeback, and unfortunately, came a little, came up a little short. But you know, that thirty-seven, thirty-two. I mean, it's looking good for this week. Now we can talk presently. But you know, uh, I don't know, man. I got, uh, I got high hopes for Buffalo right now, but I think they're they're doing big things. So yeah, and they still got
3: another shot at rebound Brandy from that in the season, right?
1: Yeah, After that's true. That uh, that is true
3: so other, also he says the mad mads right they, they remember yeah. they announced that they were doing a silent black and white cut on the blu ray yeah so i don 't i didn 't really know the jesus christ
1: <laughs> i don't no, know I know they, exactly I know exactly what these fuckers are doing man they 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 have people monitor monitoring you know the internet and you know the buzz and all that shit, so basically, what happened here in well. You know, I'm just I'm just being this is is just me thinking about it. But um, I bet you any money that they fucking saw that there was so much buzz about it. And they said, well, fuck this, man. We're going to keep it off here and we're going to make these fuckers double dip. And Rob even stated that he's no he's not going to fucking double dip and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of people will. And they just figured that they can maximize their, you know, their cash flow by releasing these separately and people will buy both versions. You know, but you know, to actually announce it and then not deliver, yeah, that's a big, uh, that's a big dry hump. Yeah, and or that, dry fuck right there. So, and,
3: and it's a big studio doing it too. It's not like a Scream Factory yeah. or Anchor Bay or something, because I know yeah. both of those companies have done stuff like that in the past as well. But yeah, I, I was a little disheartened with that. And you know what? I'm not gonna buy a Mad Max. I'll rent it from the Red Box. And then whenever that cool, because I was really interested in a silent black and white cut of it. That sounded really cool to me. So I'm gonna hold off until that comes out. I'm not buying it until then.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It's fucking go figure, right? But uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I'm sure this movie's probably gonna get released like a million times. So there'll be a version with all the versions on there later on and some crazy limited fucking velvet packaging or something like <laughs> that. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm you know sure what I'm I saying? It's going to get ridiculous. It'll be like $400 because it comes with like some of Charlize Theron's hair or something. I don't know. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> what's going on i'm fucking delusional right now i don't know i'm just talking to my ass but you know how it goes with these studios they're just like whoa oh shit man a lot of people are interested in this huh? yeah what we're gonna do is we're gonna release this separately and you know fucking hardcore ah, you know it's fucking bullshit but yeah i feel you're paying the rub it, i mean as collectors it's really really frustrating you know or just even film lovers you know it's like mm-hmm. fuck i want to see this cut man you promise that shit yeah i'd be reneging on that assholes yeah. so uh Let's go
3: to Rob's next voicemail. Sorry,
2: guys, Rob from Georgia gotn't Let myself get cut off that of time. Uh, Lost track of time. But anyways, real quick to wrap up. My son breaks out over Labor Day weekend dinner. Uh, what's the, what was the saddest, greatest movie you guys have ever seen? And it took me about ten seconds. And uh, and of course it was easy for me. Seven. I don't know. I saw that in the theater. I don't know.
3: So a few different things there. One moods. What what is the saddest ending that that what he said?
1: <laughs> the saddest ending that I can think of. Oh man, I don't know. That's a tough question. Um, oddly enough, when I was a kid, I used to. I, this is so weird. I don't even know why I think of this, but um i remember back in 1985 my dad took me to see stand by me in the theater um but i fucking i left that movie theater bawling because i got like even as a young kid i got so engulfed in (laughs) with the characters and stuff it's when they're walking at the end and they're separating on the streets and they're going their separate ways and it's kind of telling them what what happened to them in their lives and stuff that shit was depressing to me Mm -hmm. you know i don't know what it was about that movie but it just always kind of got to me I'm just like man those kids were you know friends and it's that
3: uh, yeah that's that's honestly a good re- pick because you do like
1: yeah, yeah. I, I mean that's just the first thing that came to mind and I think it's like Richard Dreyfuss's like narration is just his voice is awesome and it just works so well and I don't know it, there's just something about that end of that film it's just it's brilliantly shot I just like how they're separated and they actually fade away and stuff and mm-hmm. you know River Phoenix's character ironically dies in the story it's fucking weird you because know, he ends up dying a couple years later. But um yeah, that was one that uh that always kinda got to me. I don't know. I'll say stand by me.
3: Yeah, uh mine is the saddest for sure is the Mist. The Mist to me is is has like the the dagger through the heart ending. Uh it's <laughs> oh, one of my favorite it. endings too. Uh but yeah. I, when, when he mentioned endings that that were depressing and you felt like they're like there almost needs to be Further explanation or exploration of the characters, but you're glad that they didn't get get that ex- exploration. I think of a couple film. One, one would probably be the thing. Uh, it's it might not be that oh, de- that that depressing, dude. but it kind of is, right? Because they're just there. So uh, and you you wonder what happened. So uh, that's one, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, th- th- totally. <laughs> and then
3: the other one that's I think show. of is, uh, and this this I just thought of, you know, while I was talking about the thing. Is uh, let the right one in. You kind of wonder what, what's what's going to happen with them at the end, even though you kind of have an idea of what's probably going to happen.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting. Th- there's definitely I know, a I never few really
3: that I can't think of right now because I'm on the spot.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Um, I don't know, man. It's kind of taken like a kind of different approach to this, but I was like, I don't know, man. Like my bloody Valentine. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, don't
3: know. I mean, but that's one that we actually wanted a sequelization to, right, so i right.
1: I guess so, I guess so, um, I don't know, man, you know I, I don't want to like ruin it for anybody if you haven't seen the film, which most people have. I know you haven't, but the end of the Beyond is like is like literally one of my favorite endings of all time, but it's like it's just I don't know, man it's a, it's a really eerie, weird. Thing you got to you got to see it to believe it though, one of those things. All That's right. a really good question, man. I I feel like I just have to explore that, think about this a lot more. Kind of really put it on the spot, you know.
3: Yeah, it's tough.
1: Well, let Let's move
3: on here to That's the tough. next voicemail. Here is uh, Rob again.
5: You know,
2: holy freaking crap! <laughs> <laughs> I was tonight thinking I had made the freaking right sex. I wake up. With left, and I watched this freaking team drive all the way freaking down and score a freaking touchdown, and what's worse, with 20 freaking seconds left, you're kidding me? You gotta run a freaking, I hope these freaking KC fans are puking all the way off that freaking stadium, because I had the freaking pick right. Who the frick runs a freaking play? With 20 freaking seconds left to overtime, you kneel the freaking ball down, and you Play overtime. What the freaking crap? I wish i never <laughs> woke up tonight. Ugh. Casey, I'll wake up in the morning and have a nice freaking week. I'll just feel like freaking crap the rest of the week. Ugh. I'm so glad I'm not a freaking Casey then and maybe you should just toss this voicemail out the window, but on un- <laughs> I
1: can't even believe what I just watched yeah that was fucking bullshit Uh,
3: so I think I think Rob was alluding to the what was it Kansas City and Denver game yeah it was everybody picked uh, so many people picked Kansas City and and what did you say Moods? I hope this isn't a bad omen to the week was that the week that it was a bad omen right
1: (laughs) yeah it was And it turned out to be the worst pick 'em week in two seasons for pretty much everybody. Like, it was a bad fucking week, man.
3: Yeah, no, the, like, the the best guy went nine and seven, I think.
1: Yeah, it's really fucked up, man. (laughs) It's crazy. I think there was only, I think there was only five people that were over 500 for the week or something. Like, it was really bad, man really bad like i mean keel was like what three and no, 13 four, or something four and, four and fucking 12 four and 12 yeah
0: what and that's he a, won that's like last one
1: worst, year. that's one of the worst weeks i've seen anybody have yeah i went so six far. and 10 luckily yeah i was six and 10 too and it was just a horrible horrible week but i, I know exactly what rob was saying though with that play just I mean, crazy oh, bullshit yeah. man we were all pissed Ugh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: All right, so we, we got one more voicemail here.
2: Hey guys, Rob from George calling in. Last night I was able to view both the 87-minute cut of Halloween 6 as well as the producer's cut of the film. A couple of observations. First, I do think it's a better film than what it had been, but that's just my opinion. Not sure what you guys think. Two, much of the changes are changes I could have foreseen. The integration of the original music into the film, Jamie's dream sequences, and alternative kills. So aside from the newly worked twist ending, I really wasn't surprised by anything in that. It was kind of disappointing. Third, I know I only paid $7.88 for it, but the least they could have done was put a commentary track on it. Uh, that could have been cool, too, depending on who did it. And I guess that raises the question, if you have the box set, um, does the producer's cut have extras on it? I know the stripped down, uh cut that you get for the Summon Bucks or whatever from Walmart doesn't have anything on it other than uh, the film. Uh, fourth, and is it me or the more I catch part four, but especially five and six, it seems that Zombie was pretty influenced by these latter films when creating his two entries, especially H2. Not sure what you guys think about that either. Uh, aside, it did get me to thinking about the, uh, the restoration of films in general. Uh, Richard Donner's cut of Superman 2, the restored extended cut of Alien 3, the black and white cut of The Mist, and of course, Halloween 6's producer's cut. I'm curious to know what you guys think of this process in general. I know it took Ridley like 25 years to rework Alien, and of course, Lucas has made many changes to his own Star Wars films, for better or worse. So I guess the question is threefold. What do you guys think of restored cuts in general? Two, is there a particular film you'd like to see given similar treatment? Three, uh, what did you guys think of the producer's cut, type and all? In particular, the new twist ending. Um, so I guess that wraps up this call this week, guys. Uh, take care. And, uh, of course, as always, go Bills. <clears throat> all
3: right, so uh, there's there's a yeah. few things there. First of all, we did cover both the original Halloween 6 theatrical version and the producer's cut in episode 28 and 930 I can't remember it was the Halloween yeah, arc somewhere around there. and yeah I think
1: we I think we covered those pretty well yeah pretty well and stuff yeah um
3: I I liked it I liked it more than the uh original cut and I will say that the only thing that I was like I like the way that they delve into the mythology more, but like Rob said, I wasn't really surprised by anything except for the fact yeah. that Michael Myers is allegedly the father of his niece's da- uh, son, which is weird, right?
1: <laughs> That's yeah, a little yeah. surprising. As for Rob Zombie being influenced while doing his uh, you know, entries into the Halloween franchise, I never really thought of that actually. I don't think we ever covered that one, did we? I don't think we ever met or no, brought that up, no, but no, we've never. Talked I, I, I about don't. That. I, I guess I never really thought about it, but you know, I'd have to put some thought into that. But yeah, it just never crossed my mind, so I don't know.
3: I've I heard mean, other people make that comparison. I, I've heard people say that H two is very much similar to uh, the vibes and and some of the themes
1: going on in the uh, Jamie Lloyd arc. Maybe it's like, yeah, I guess. I guess a little bit now that I think about it but yeah weird I never thought of it but I wouldn't
3: be surprised I think that sense. it would make sense uh, then mm. he asked us what do we think of like alternate cuts and stuff I'm all for them if there's other versions uh, that play different especially to the extent of Halloween 6 where mm-hmm. it's like a completely different film I want to see them the, the only one that I can I'm think all- of offhand is Hellraiser 4 I heard that there's another different cut and it makes sense because it's Dimension as well that is mm-hmm. completely different than the original theatrical cut that we got.
1: Yeah, I'm all for them too. I mean, as long as they're using, you know, the footage that was, you know, originally shot for it and stuff. And what I mean by that is like. Night know, of Living man, Dead. I'm not a fucking. Big, yeah, you know, like just just fucking inserting like new footage and, and changing things like George Lucas' uh, Star yeah, Wars yeah. film. I'm
3: not a big fan it's of that. It's a
1: perfect at all. example. see see, these remastered and re-edited and re-fucking generated putting like CG into these films that I am not a big fan of I think it's complete bullshit but you know on the flip side if you're if you're restoring a film and you know you want to make a different kind of cut of it and you already have all this footage and you just want to reinsert it and kind of mix things around go for it man I'm all for it go ahead and do it but don't be changing effects and, and you know and tweaking things and stuff like You know, it that doesn't make any fucking sense to me at all. And I mean, Lucas really did hurt those films. I mean, it's so stupid to fucking watch those with those those newly restored effects and stuff. It's like, what? It's so stupid. These movies came out in like the fucking late seventies. It's like or that one, you know, original Star Wars. It's like, fuck off, man, with that shit. But, you know, with these like Richard Donner's cut of Superman two, you know, it's good, man. You know, it's an extended cut. It's like it's it's good. You know, the footage was there just use it
3: if you I'm think about it. it it's like if they took like a like a statue or something like uh or or like mount rushmore right and it's like oh well george washington has a crack in his eye or his his eyes shaped weird let's go let's go fix it like it no leave it alone don't start fucking with the designs of of this art you know what i mean that, that's what i think like if exactly. you're gonna actually add shit to it that wasn't there to begin with like yeah you can maintain it clean it make sure that that it's it, the weather isn't destroying it and stuff like that but when you actually go and start uh you know changing pieces of it start that's when you get fucked up and uh, that's what george lucas got so much heat for and i 100 agree uh if there's Footage there. If there's stuff that, that that was there that was filmed originally, yes, make different cuts, mess with it, add different music. That like the European cut of Dawn of the Dead, release that out there to the U.S. You know what I mean? I, I'm all for that stuff. I if there's ever like other versions of films that that could have like Nightbreed, right? Nightbreed, that's a perfect mm-hmm. example. I want mm-hmm. to see that stuff.
1: Yeah, actually, well. On the subject of Dawn of the Dead, it's just a perfect example all of all these different cuts of it that really do change the film and it's exciting to watch the the different cuts and stuff and you know, it's it's a great example. Three really, really good cuts, so I'm all for it man. All for it. Yeah, Rob with his complex questions, man. It's like yeah. you know, I got a quick questions uh, for you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, thanks again, Rob, for, you know, the awesome comments and questions and stuff. We really appreciate that, buddy. Alrighty. So, well, moving along in, uh, mood swings here, we'll get into the, uh, the corners report, of course, courtesy of Rue Morg, and it is the weird stats and morbid facts. Uh, today's weird stat and morbid fact is coming from December, 2014, Uh, Issue 151, this is the one with Ghostbusters on the cover. Oddly enough, Ghostbusters, actually the the 30th anniversary, the article was pretty cool in here. Um, But what do we got here? I thought this one was uh, a little odd because I actually didn't know that. Like, I mean, obviously I've read this before, but it is strange though. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I didn't read this one. I've, I've read so many different ones out of random magazines. I have no idea what I've read. Could you imagine if I actually read the same one? That'd be fucking trivia. <laughs> cause it was like, cause there's probably like, you know, a dozen of these in each magazine. Right. So what are the chances? But anyways, I thought this was kind of cool. Um, getting back to the, you know, Italian cinema. Uh, okay. Although the score is credited to Goblin, one of the more effective soundtrack themes in Dario Gento's Phenomena Valley was composed and performed by Bill Wyman better known as the bassist for the Rolling Stones for 31 years. Um that's fucking strange. I I would like to know more about this and why that came about.
3: Yeah, that's It's really strange
1: cuz cuz you know Goblin obviously did, you know scores for tons of Italian films especially Argento but that one little musical piece in the film was done by Bill Wyman like the fuck's up with that man but he's not even credited at all it's Hmm. totally credited to to Goblin that's the weird thing that is interesting that's an interesting
3: backstory to that yeah
1: I'd actually like to know more about that but yeah Bill Wyman of, of the Rolling Stones not being credited interesting so, yeah, that is going to conclude Mood Swings. Yeah. All right. So moving on to uh, what we watched this week. Um, did you watch anything this week, JP?
3: Yeah, yeah, I actually did. And uh, <laughs> I'm cheating a little bit. This one I watched maybe a week or two ago because, yeah. it, you know, Wes Craven. Who's count? I, I, wanted Jim, to, you counting. Know, I, I wanted to talk about Wes Craven. Uh, so one of the films that I watched, I alluded to it earlier, it is uh, Stranger in Our House, a.k.a. Summer of Fear from the year 1978. This one follows uh, a family. One of the characters, uh, I forget her name, but she's played by Linda Blair. They find out that her cousin's, fam- her cousin's parents had died along with their nanny in a fiery car crash. So they have to pretty much take in uh, Linda Blair's cousin and everything's good at first linda has this nice life where she has you know a good best friend she has a couple of brothers she she has uh, her boyfriend who she's really uh, into she races horses and and stuff like that and you know she she welcomes her cousin into the house and everything's going good and then her cousin slowly starts uh, you know, taking over her life pretty much. You know, she, she, you know, starts becoming friends with her best friend and she still is her boyfriend and her family <clears throat> likes her more and she just altogether has this, uh, perception that, that, other people see of her where everybody's like oh she's so awesome i think her name is julia and they're like oh Julia's so awesome julia did this did you hear what julia said and meanwhile linda blair's character can see through it and see that something's not right here and why is she like ruining my life and finds out that you know julia's into some black magic and uh she's kind of a witch uh dude i <laughs> this is a tv movie but i i very much enjoyed it I think that this one plays out really well. It it does have that TV movie quality to it where it almost feels like an episode of a TV show and almost is structured as one in terms of uh, the plot development and climax and things like that. But it is a horror film. It's one of those frustrating films, right? Because you're seeing through our lead character's eyes where everybody believes – Uh, doesn't believe her nobody believes what she's saying it's like that feeling where you know something but you can't convey it to other people you can't show them the way that you see it and it's it's just infuriating because everybody thinks she's so awesome but she's really a scumbag and that is so frustrating because i've dealt with that in real life where where you you know that somebody's a shady ass dude yet everybody seems to to be in you know in like with them And that's Linda Blair here. She's she's stuck. And in this case, it's it's more of a a supernatural type thing that's making people blind to the fact. But, uh, you know, overall, I I mean, I thought that it thought it was pretty cool. I love I loved uh, following Linda Blair's character and and it happens very gradually. Like first she's, you know, doing this and then she's wearing her clothes. And then, uh, you know, Linda Blair gets pimp like a big rash on her face and stuff. And she's just uh, it's like some voodoo shit. And uh, the only negatives is some of it's a little cheesy there's like a car chase scene and some of the stuff feels very tv movie-ish but i gotta say the twist ending really fooled me like really tricked me i didn't see it coming at all and i actually think it was a good ending have you seen this one Moods?
1: no i haven't actually
3: oh you've actually never seen this no oh dude it honestly it's one of my new favorite west cravens uh it would have made my top ten if I had seen it beforehand. Uh it's it's a lot of fun. It, it like it it's a good movie. It, it it plays that almost almost thriller kind of a little slow burn, but it, that it's very psychological and things like that. There's a good twist ending to it. I give it a 7 out of 10 it, it's definitely a solid Wes Craven for, especially a TV movie and Linda Blair has this she kind of has this weird look to her I think I didn't really care for her hair in this one uh, but she's likable and she's really likable and I, I, she's not really like that in person I guess but her her character is likable and you feel bad for her. it's a good movie 7 out of 10
1: yeah this is one that I've always wanted to seek out but I, I swear this DVD's been out of print forever <laughs> Yeah, it's an so,
3: August release, so lines. Yeah, I, I,
1: I just always kind of forget about it, but yeah, I, I got to check that one out, man. Curious, Linda Blair, in a Wes Craven TV film. Eh, interesting. <laughs> what did you give that one?
3: I gave it a seven out of ten.
1: Seven out of ten. I see. I see. Cool. All right. So uh, first up here tonight is a um, a film from 2015 that I recently watched, and um when I first seen this one, uh, that I think we kind of briefly, I think i mentioned this on DVD and Blu-ray releases a while back. I didn't, I wasn't really that intrigued about it. And, you know, I I picked it up, of course, solely based on the fact that this was directed by, um, the director of the maniac remake. Um, what's his name? Frank call I don't know how to pronounce his fucking name. I'm so bad with pronouncing names, but this is why I wanted to check it out because I really enjoyed the remake of Maniac. I thought it was well done. So, but I'd heard this movie was like completely different, and of course it's uh, called "I Lived." Um, you know, it's one of those kind of new age type horror films. You know, based with technology, it's one of those technology based horror films. Uh, the a lot of these ones can be decent and or they can be really good you know like i really liked the den last year and so i you know I was, there was a lot of thing going on for this one that i was intrigued about so anyways basically this film follows uh your main character his name is josh he is a um he's kind of an underachiever really he uh has a lot of education and he's just kind of waiting for the right job to come up and he's just not really doing anything with his life um, and what he's doing is, you know, kind of similar to what we do, you know. but he's, he's decided that he's going to start reviewing uh, like cell phone apps on his YouTube channel. And uh, so he starts reviewing all these, um, these apps and stuff like that. Anyways, he comes across this one called I lived and, you know, originally he gives it, you know, kind of like a mediocre review, continues along doing his apps and stuff. And he just decides one day that he's actually going to try out the app of I lived, you know, like seriously try it out. And, uh, what happens is, you know, like I said, he's kind of down on his luck. He's not really going anywhere. He tries out this app and it basically, what it does is it tells you to do things. So you enter in a goal into this app and it tells you what to do. And all of a sudden his life starts turning around. He like gets this amazing looking girlfriend and he gets the job and he's like, everything is just going his way. But of course, Josh is a little selfish and he's a little blind to the facts and, you know, he doesn't. You want to believe that his success with the girl and the job and the car and like all this new found luck has anything to do with the app. So what he does, he actually signs out of the app and of course everything goes to shit. He loses the girlfriend. He loses the job. He, you know, everything just goes on a downward spiral. So now he's kind of convinced that maybe it is the app. So then he re-signs back into the app. And of course now, it's more of the app telling him to do some pretty extreme things. And, you know, and that's kind of where your film goes, you know, he's got to do some pretty damn extreme things to get back to the place where he was before.
3: It sounds so like now my, a modern tells from the crypt episode.
1: Yeah. You know, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um But yeah, my thoughts on this one, I actually really enjoyed this movie, man. I, I At first I was like, okay, you know, it's kind of fun. And I can kind of, for me, I, it was relatable. You know, I, I I know the YouTube thing and stuff. And I was like, I don't know. It was just, you know, I, I, it just felt right to be watching it. And it just kind of had that type of vibe to me. Um, I thought it was actually really well directed and executed and what I mean, that, i obviously can't give anything away, but there's one like what the movie comes out to. And I don't want to say what it is because I don't even want to say the term what it is because it'll totally kind of give it away. But um, I really liked how this m- movie developed and there's, there, there's one scene in this film having to do with uh, an agreement and it's it just, it really, fuck it really worked quite well. Um But, uh, very well acted. Like, like I said, it was very well directed too. Um, and it's just, it's almost really clever. It's really clever. And that's kind of what got me you know into the film a lot more was like okay where the fuck is this kind of going and stuff and then it it does take some really kind of dark turns and twists and kind of goes in a place where you don't really expect it to go but it works on all those type of levels and stuff but i don't know man i think it was really good um again you know very kind of stylish type film it, it definitely has his stamp it's not like maniac at all but it's it's very well i i keep saying very well directed because it really is but good film though Really enjoyed it. Um, You know, not really a whole lot more to say without giving anything away about this one. But, you know, I, I like the, uh <laughs> I don't know, man. I like the cheesy, not really the cheesy effects. But, you know, like when he's doing his, uh you know, when you're watching films and, you know, something you can relate to, like a YouTube video and stuff, like the effects that he is, you're just kind of watching it going, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's, uh you know. Okay. JP. You know, when you're watching a film or something like that and you see like an app, like a, you know, say like a messenger thing on a movie and you're like, hey, that's not real. Yeah. (laughs) You know, know, like that's just Okay. No, but at one point they're kind of it is totally like YouTube, but it was just like his intros and stuff. And I'm like, there's no way that he's doing that shit. It's just it's it just seemed kind of out of place. But at the same time, very appealing i don't know it's hard to explain but i lived i really enjoyed it man i thought it was a fun film really well executed um uh seven and a half out of ten good film definitely check it out awesome yeah it was fun it's
3: somebody somebody told me that it sucked bad and yeah uh, i
1: don't know i don't know what they're watching because maybe they just didn't kind of understand the well not even understand but just kind of get the cleverness of it it's yeah it, the script is not bad. It's not bad. And I, I mean, I can see the unappeal in the film, though, too, if you're not into technology type based horror films and you're kind of getting sick of them. I mean, they seem to keep coming out, you know, quite drastically. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was good. thought it was good.
3: Yeah. You know, uh, I actually like those style films. Like you mentioned The Den and I recently watched Unfriended and that one is very, very ingrained in what we do. Skype. You, uh, yeah. YouTube fucking messenger on I uh, like it, it really just connected with and it made me kind of sadly realize how much technology is ingrained in my life which I really didn't realize but it, it really is so yeah uh, that's cool all right yeah so the next one that I'm going to review is actually a film that it's not released yet but it's coming out soon I got a uh, screener of this and it is a Christmas horror story from the year 2015 this is an anthology Christmas horror film. I'm going to try to go through this because it's, it's, it is a little it's going to be a little hard to explain all this. Okay, so it's book ended with William Shatner as a DJ who is sort of narrating this story a little bit. He's kind of bringing this like Christmas cheer to the airwaves. Uh, he's, you know, honestly he's one of the funner parts of the film like like he is funny and he he really has this like warmth to him as he's talking about christmas and i'm not one of those people who are like i know like shatner has become like this this like like nerdish icon or this like like in joke almost like i I, i'm so far away from and removed from that because i I don't know really anything about him but he was great in this uh so there's four core stories besides the bookend uh, the first one follows a group of high school students who are breaking into the basement of their uh, school in order to shoot a documentary on a horrific murder that occurred there the previous year. Uh, th- okay, l- let me go. I guess I'll go e- by each story. This one was okay. Uh, I didn't really care for it too much. I, I th- this might have been my least favorite of, of the stories. There's a lot of, like, jump scares, and it's really cliche and and uh, kind of... Uh, kind of what you expect out of stuff like this like this uh documentary we're gonna film a documentary like school students and stuff uh but it does have like an okay ending uh the next tale is about a character who it's actually a married couple who are taking their child to go get a christmas tree in the forest they're gonna just go chop down some some christmas tree, some tree in a in a uh, somebody's property. Uh, As they're doing this, their son goes missing, and they panic to find him. They eventually find him hiding in an old tree, uh, only to discover there's something very, very wrong with the child. Uh, This one was really cool, actually. The idea behind it, it's called a changeling, and essentially uh, it – I'm I'm not going to spoil it too much, but – anthologies are really hard to talk about by the way (laughs) Uh, yeah they are (laughs) so basically the the child is not the child anymore that that one was cool creepy had had a cool dynamic to it between the parents bickering and the father uh you know relationship with the son and stuff I, i actually really really enjoyed that one uh the third story Follows a family who's, like, well off. They're going – they have these, like, bratty children. They're going to visit their reclusive rich aunt. Their aunt is very wealthy. Uh, they go in there. They, you know, they're a bunch of dicks, really. And uh, they end up breaking this statue. And this statue is that of a Krampus, which a Krampus is – uh, kind of the anti Santa type thing. He 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 comes around and he punishes uh, people who have too many sins and, and you know really you know kills them and stuff. Uh, that one was cool. I, I really liked that one as well. You know it has the, the the Krampus character and he looked badass. It was like this goat thing. Uh, you know the the family was a little over the top for me because how dickish they were and their sins and stuff. But uh, it it is it, it, it was a good story too. Uh, the the fourth story is probably my favorite, and that is uh, Santa, and it's actually the most comedic too, which is funny, because uh, I'm normally not the comedy type guy. Santa is in the North Pole, and all of a sudden his elf, one of his elves, die, and elves can't die, so everybody's kind of confused, like what, like we elves can't die, and then he comes back as a zombie. And then all the elves <laughs> turn into these flesh-eating zombies, Uh and basically uh, they're foul-mouthed, and they're like, fuck you, motherfucker! And, and, like, Santa's just chopping their heads off with this spear and shit. Uh, A <laughs> lot of fun there. That one is, it, is very comedic. I almost feel like they pushed it a little too much with the, the naughtiness of the elves cussing. And like they, we got the joke and they really hammered it down our throat at times. But at the end of the day, it was still a lot, a lot of fun. Now, a few negatives I have about this film. The way that the anthology is told is that of trick or treat, but not as good. It's not interwoven. We're just hopping from story to story. So we might spend a little time with this story. And then, you know, the, if, fades, not fades to black, cuts to black or something, and then we spend a little time with the second story, and then the third story, and then back to the first story. And honestly, you would think that that would make it roll a little smoother and it wouldn't get as boring but i felt like it drug when it was doing that because if you had a little least you know less interest in a certain story then you were just waiting to get back to the other one instead of it being in a format where it's like okay here's one story watch it all the way through here's another story watch it all the way through like most anthologies are if you didn't like that first story at least after you finished it it was out of the way. But in this, if you don't have all good stories, then it becomes a problem when you're jumping from different stories because you don't want to see the one that you don't like and it just keeps getting shoved down your throat. It, it all takes place on Christmas Eve. It has that Christmas vibe in some stories, some stories it doesn't. I liked this one a lot, but I just – I wish it would have been a little shorter or maybe the stories wouldn't have been interwoven like that because it's not done like trick-or-treat where they all have connections and stuff. They have very minor connections, but it's not as genius as trick-or-treat. The ending was good. I love the bookend ending. Uh, the ending was sweet actually. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, great movie. Just has minor problems. So I can't come in too high. I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10.
1: mm. Cool. Yeah, man, I, I want to check it out. That fucking that shit sounded funny as hell. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it is. I,
1: just, I was like, as you were describing it, I was picturing it, and I was just like, oh my god, this is fucking sounds so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: it, they all take stuff. place on Christmas Eve night, and you know, it, it kind of reminds you of like a Tales from the Cryptish type stuff a little bit, or like an EC comics. It, it, it was, it was good. It was good. Just had minor problems that that kind of bugged me.
1: Hmm. Cool, cool, good stuff, man. I can't wait to check that out. Okay, so uh, next one here is uh, uh, released by Screen Factory, actually. Um, This is one of those uh, IFC Screen Factory releases. Um, This is one, actually, when it first got announced, I was like, (laughs) okay. Uh, I really didn't have a whole lot of interest, but, you know. As a collector of Screen Factories, I had to pick it up. And I'm glad that, you know, that I forced myself to buy every release because I generally probably wouldn't even have went after this because I had no interest. And I was bored one night and I popped it in. I didn't really know anything about it. And it's from 2013 and it's directed by John McNaughton, of course, from uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer um, fame. You know, he also did an episode on uh, Masters of Horror. I believe that was Heckle's Tale. I believe that it, that's what he did. Um,
3: oh, I fucking love Heckle's Tale, dude. That dude needs to yeah. do more shit because that's like the only two things he did, ain't it?
1: <laughs> well, this is the first movie that he's directed in 15 years, and I, you know, he obviously did a whole pile of other type genres, but this is like the first film film he done in like 15 years. It's so weird. Just did a lot of TV stuff and. So I was you know, that kind of caught my attention. I was like, okay, fuck John McDonald directed this. I really have to check this out. Cause I like Heckle's Tale too. That was a really kind of surprise. Yeah, yeah, one of our favorites. It yeah, was just one of those stuff. episodes that kind of grabbed us, right? So um this is definitely a lot different than his previous, you know, horror work, I, I have to say. Um and it is yeah, like from 2013, it's called The Harvest. Um this one's uh starring actually has Peter Fonda in it, uh which is pretty cool. He plays like the little girl's grandfather. Uh, Michael Shannon's in this one. Uh, Michael Shannon's really good in pretty much everything that he does, but uh, basically follows your main character. Um, I think her name is Marianne, I want to say. Um, yeah, Marianne. Uh, she's just been orphaned. Her parents have been killed, and so she moves into this like small little town uh, to go live with her grandparents. And, uh, of course, she's new in town, and she has no friends. And the closest neighbor that she has is basically a boy that's sick you know he's laid up in his parents house and he doesn't he can't go anywhere because he's like super sick and they don't really know what's wrong with him um for the most part uh the little boy's mom is actually a doctor and so he basically lives at the house you know kind of like she has a whole hospital thing set up in the house and stuff like that anyways Marianne wants to become friends with him because you know she not only feels sorry for him but she's well fucking bored she just wants someone to play with um but her of course the little boy's mom that's uh you know the doctor she is she wants absolutely no part of marianne associating with her with her son um she doesn't really have any good reasons she just doesn't want any contact i think she kind of states that you know he's sick and stuff and he can't really do this but she's just real fucking bitch but of course marianne doesn't want to give into it and she starts sneaking him out of the house and doing things like that and stuff and then you know one thing leads to another and they become pretty good friends and then she starts to find out things about, you know, um, you know, his mom and in the house that's going on and stuff like that. And, um, well, I'll just basically leave it right there. Can't really go any further with the, uh, with the plot. So, um, this one right here is, uh, it's pretty much like a, it's like a th- horror thriller type deal. Um, it's a pre, it's a slow burn, you know, it's not really a coming of age it's, It, You know, it's two young younger people. I want to say they're probably about thirteen or fourteen years old, trying to become friends and stuff. But it's got some pretty interesting ideas. Michael Shannon plays the father, um, and he's kind of one of those fathers that, you know, in the film, he's very not wearing the pants in the relationship. You know, his wife, who's the who's the doctor, she's this overpowering fucking bitch, and he's just always kind of you always you feel sorry for him, and and that's the thing in this movie all the characters in this film are quite powerful characters. Everyone is very, very powerful and is very, very well acted. Um the script isn't overly, you know, like the actual story um might be a little predictable towards the end and stuff, but this movie has enough uh kind of um sensibility and, you know, to it that it it just it really does work. You know, it, like I said, the ending's not overly the most original thing or I shouldn't say original. Like I said, it's a little predictable. little, you know, it's got a little bit of predictability, but it holds its own, man. This one right here is, it's actually quite thrilling and it's exciting. And it's, it's kind of like, it just, it makes you shake your head. It's one of those type films where when the reveals happen, you shake your fucking head and you go, Jesus Christ, man, this shit probably really fucking happens, you know, It's just ridiculous. But, um, You know, it's, it, this is a hard film to talk about. You can't give anything away. You can't really say anything about this one, but, um, I definitely highly recommend the harvest. It was a really fun film. It was really fun, well executed. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't really know what else to say about it without giving it away, but I highly recommend it eight and a half or eight out of 10. Um, just for the performances alone, man, if you're a Michael Shannon fan, you got to check this out, but, uh, yeah good stuff man and the little girl in this film uh marianne, whatever actor whatever her real name is, she does a great job she does a really really great job in this one so and uh I will add this one is shot beautifully. the cinematography and the settings in this film are fantastic, really really well edited too so yeah, awesome story man really cool film slow burn though I will say it is a slow film, but it's got a lot of character development and it's you know it's needed for it so yeah, the harvest. Check it out; it's good.
3: Nice, nice. It's it's always good to hear when one of those IFCs are good, and you know the next one will be bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's the thing with those IFCs, man. It's like they are completely hit and miss. They really, really are. I was actually going through my collection the other day, and going, well, that one was good. That one was good, and then it's like every odd one. It's kind of strange, <laughs> but yeah. the harvest is actually one of the better ones that's come out. So I, I cool. recommend it.
3: All right, so uh, I guess it's now time for segments. And uh, my segment, of course, is a closer look at where I talk about the special features on a release and not the actual... Well, sometimes I talk about the film, but in this case, I'm actually not going to talk about the films because I'm reviewing a box set here and I don't got time to review each and every film uh, individually as well. So I'll just talk about the special features. This is also Scream Factory Moods. This is the Amityville Trilogy box set that was put out. So the first Amityville... I was actually very disappointed in the special features. Not because they're bad, but because they're the exact same that was on the MGM box set. Uh, You have, for God's sakes, Get Out, which is the Amityville featurette. Now, this is a retrospect featuring... james brolin and Mar- margaret kidder uh the actress actors actors and actresses in the film uh it was a pretty fun feature but it's old you know we've already seen it before it's it's uh one that uh they they're really not too they're, they're not saying like oh we made such a great great movie they're they're kind of like yeah it was pretty fun it was a it was a cool movie um but it wasn't like art <laughs> uh so then there's al- <laughs> <laughs> there's also a uh haunted melodies which uh, i'm not even going to try to pronounce the guy's name but it's an interview with the guy who made the music which was pretty interesting as well then you have the original theatrical trailer tv spot boring boring radio spots boring still gallery i mean it's a still gallery and then you have an audio commentary which honestly was the best part of the special features even though it was already on the original mgm release it's with dr hans halzer who is a uh, has a PhD in parapsychology. This was one of the guys who was responsible for pushing the Amityville story. And this is very interesting because he you get to hear him talk about the direct parallels between the real story and what happened in the movie and he would and he's this I think he's like German or or uh, some he's from somewhere where he has this accent. And he'll be like, no, no, that's Hollywood. I can't even do it. But he would be like, that's the Hollywood stuff. This is the 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 normal real stuff. And he talks about everything as if it is real, hundred percent. Like this happened. This didn't happen. So it's a it's a very interesting like psychological like like experience to hear this guy who so strongly believes in paranormal stuff and how he talks about it as if it's hundred percent fact. I loved it. And I you know I'm very different point of view than than someone like this gentleman but i I never found felt angry or anything like that i I just found it very intriguing to hear him uh you know be ultra serious in this in this uh talking of the films uh that that was a really cool uh commentary then we have amityville 2 which actually has i think at least at least mostly new special features if not all new which i was very happy to say because amityville 2 is my favorite in the series uh you have an interview with the director uh demonio demonini uh he is uh an italian director so we actually, it. he actually he <laughs> he didn't have a uh they didn't he was a hired gun for this film right he didn't he he didn't really have anything to do with like the the script. That was Tommy Lee Wallace who actually wrote that. Uh, so they just hired an Italian guy to direct it. Which actually, when you watch it, you're like, oh, like I could totally see that Italian. It, this has some Italian influence because it was done by an Italian director, uh, and he you know speaks Italian. So the the interviews and, and subtitles. And I really found it fascinating because he talks a lot about like and it's only six minutes long interview but he he really talks about like the uh the the amityville film and making a horror film how how he he wanted just just the the uh mindset of him was very interesting to me because it was very different than what i expected from somebody making this film it was uh it was like most italian directors honestly like some of them who just feel like uh, this isn't really art, but you know, this is what I, the, I I think I did a pretty decent movie with it or whatever. Then you have adapting Amityville, an interview with Tommy Lee Wallace. Good stuff there. He talks about what, how, like the DeFeo story, how he wanted to tackle it, the incestual stuff, which is always interesting to hear them talk about. Then you have A Mother's Burden in an interview with Ratanya Alda, who played the, the sister. And that was very interesting, too, because she talked about how she got the part and how uh, she went in and, and uh, you know the, t- handled the incestual stuff. That was really cool. Family Matters, interview with Diane Franklin. Or wait, I might have got that wrong. Yeah, the, the A Mother's Burden, that one was with the mom. But she talks about that stuff, too. And then mm-hmm. Family Matters, an interview with Diane Franklin. That's the sister. Really good stuff there. Uh, And then interview with Andrew Prine, three minutes long, not that, you know, long. And then you have uh, a interview with Alexander Halzer, uh, who is the director, the the original guy uh, who pushed the Amityville story. It's her daughter, his daughter. And now she's. She's continuing the work of her father. So she really talks about wh- what her father thought of the film. Like that was a really fascinating interview. That one was really, really fucking cool. And uh, then there's an, a commentary with her as well. And it's a very odd commentary. There's a lot of breaks in between it. But she goes really into like the factual stuff and, you know, the – both. I mean honestly both those commentaries are really good because they're just so interesting to hear these people talk about – the films as if in the real case and the facts it's really cool finally amityville 3 has one interview on it not that good nine minutes long has a photo gallery trailer and it is in 3d as well uh but i don't have that uh 3d tv so i couldn't watch it in 3d that's the Amityville box set. I really recommend that second disc, that Amityville 2, man. A lot of good features on that. I was super happy. I mean, it made the box set actually worth it because it. I was not very high on that box set because I already owned the other box set until I started getting into the special features. Really good stuff.
1: hmm Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, man. Part 2 is uh, also my favorite, too. I've always thought that like the, the incest stuff in that film is just it's it's an interesting route that they took.
3: Yeah, cool. I like it though, man. I like I like that whole story. It's a much more violent dark story than the, the first film and, and I love it. I love Amityville too. And those special features really make you like it even more. I, I really recommend you guys check out I mean there's there's like literal hours of features on there. It's it's good stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't actually watched any of those. I need to check that shit out, man.
3: Yeah, all of you <clears throat> guys need to start checking out more features, especially these Scream Factories, because that's one of the best parts about them.
1: Alrighty, so getting into my Italian Stallion of the Week. Uh, this one comes from Synapse Films. Um, it's relatively a newer film. It's from 2011, uh, and it is called Morturious. Uh This one I was really curious about because um, – yeah, they don't really re- like technically release a lot of uh kind of modern horror films on Blu-ray and stuff. Um Snaps films that is. So, I was curious about this one and I was really excited that it was Italian, so had to check it out. Basically, this one has a pretty simple premise. It's about uh uh well, the film starts out with a carload of people, uh three guys, two girls. Uh these two girls of the Romanian um girls and they basically uh, I don't know. It, it's kind of not explained, but they may have been hitchhiking or whatever. But anyways, they were getting a ride from these Italian guys. Anyways, they decided to go and party with them and stuff. So they drive out to this countryside where there's this like, you know, this kind of creepy cemetery and stuff. Anyways, they're out there partying and doing their thing. And then something happens with uh, with the guys and the girls and stuff, which I won't won't ruin for anybody. Um, And then, of course, once this, you know, extreme thing is happening with the guys and girls, uh, or I should say with the girls, uh, and um, all of a sudden – you have like these really crazy kind of Roman warriors that rise up from the cemetery and then start attacking the guys and the girls. And so you got like this huge clusterfuck of shit going on in this one. And yeah, that's basically the, uh, the plot or the premise of the film right there. Uh, now my thoughts on this one, um, this movie right here. Fuck, man. Okay. It doesn't run very long. It's only shit, man. I want to say like 80, 85 minutes or whatever. The first like 30 minutes, 25, 30 minutes of the film has some of the most annoying. I shouldn't say the most annoying dialogue, but just some of the most annoying characters uh, before they even get worse. You know, the characters in this movie are fucking terrible. Everyone sucks so bad. All the guys are just terrible. The, The girls are annoying. Um, I will say some of the uh, American pop references and stuff that they were talking about in the car was actually pretty entertaining, but the first 30 minutes of this film, is really strange because it's really just them driving to this destination and, you know, doing their thing in the cemetery and stuff, and it it just went on way too long. Like, it was just poorly executed. They could have done this. They could have wrapped up this whole thing in, you know, 10, 15 minutes kind of thing. They didn't have to go 30 minutes before the shit starts going down. It's just, it was terrible, man. There's not really a lot of character development. It's just a lot of random dialogue and stuff. But yeah, honestly, the first 30 minutes of the movie, I was getting real fucking, it was testy. It was hard to watch. It was just like, fuck man, I hate these characters so much. um, You know, and then, and then the first twist kind of happens and you're like, okay, that's pretty fucked up. And then these Roman warriors all of a sudden rise. Apparently they're zombies. It's not explained. Like nothing is explained in the film, which is kind of a shame because, you know, to be honest, the, these Roman soldiers or Roman warriors or whatever that rise up. They kind of look cool, man. You know, they're supposed to be zombies, I'm I'm assuming, but they're not rotting. Um, you can't see their faces, though. They have, like, the masks on and the swords and shit like that. They just kind of look dirty. Uh, I did like the look of them, though. I like that dirty look. They were big. They were kind of burly. And they just start going on a rampage, And which leads me to the gore. Uh, the gore was actually done by... Um, uh, what's his name? Sergio Stiloviti. Uh, I was fuck up that guy's name but anyways he you know he did you know the effects on demons and demons Two and and uh cemetery man and in opera and you know among films so i would had really high expectations for the uh the gore effects in this uh unfortunately there's not really a lot of gore effect i mean there is some decent gore scenes there's just not a lot of them which was kind of a shame actually because i think they could have you know tried to put in a little more than that but I mean, I guess with only having five characters in the film, you know, that's what you're going to get. So I don't know. It was kind of, kind of underwhelming a little bit. Um, and, you know, just the whole premise of the film is it's kind of wacky because nothing's really explained and you're just like, okay, whatever. Um, as for the film itself, now it does look pretty good considering it's shot in a major, major dark area. You can tell in the cemetery or the location that they used is really dark. Uh, it was lit pretty well. It looks really good. I thought they Job, uh, it you know, it, like I said, it looked good. Cinematography wasn't bad, um, but the transitions in the film, you know, from scene to scene and stuff, it kind of felt like uh, like a TV film at times, and not in a good way. You know, it just it felt like you know, oh, that could have been a commercial break. You know, that could have been a first break. You're like, what the fuck? It's, it's just weird because it it just it it made for this really awkward feel when you're watching the film. It's strange. Um, and then onto the music in the film, uh, man. So I've stated many times, like I, you know, I really enjoy metal, death metal and stuff like that. I love, I like it, but not in, in films. I find it's out of place. It's out of place in this one again. And it just, it comes in and you're just like, uh, what the fuck? What am I? I'm watching a fucking music video again. So, you know, there is, there is some pluses to this film. Um, I really wish they had explained and gone into a little bit more or tried to explain who the fuck these Roman warriors were that rose from the cemetery. Cause that would have been really nice to know. It's just kind of random. Uh, if I, I guess what it comes down to, if you disconnect yourself on this one and just kind of take it for what it is, it's pretty entertaining. Uh, once the second half of the film starts, the first half of the film is kind of hard to get through. It's, it's fucking pissed me off a lot, kind of brought down the rating for me, but overall the, the end product wasn't too, too bad. I was entertained once, you know, the shit started going down. Um, there was a pretty nice. Um, I won't. I won't give away the kill, but <laughs> that, it was pretty awesome. The one at the end is pretty awesome. But uh, yeah, I mean, I can't give this one like the hugest recommendation. I do recommend watching it if you're into these type of films, but it's not the greatest film in the world. I give it a six out of ten, you know, solely just because the second half was definitely worth checking out. But yeah, it was okay. It was okay. So apparently, this movie was actually banned in Italy too. So. I mean, I guess I can kind of see why, because the director, you know, he has his moments in this one. He's showcases some pretty viciousness uh, acts of violence and stuff, which I won't give away because I don't want to ruin it. If you haven't seen the film um, or know anything about the film, I, w- I don't want to give those things away. But yeah, more terrorist legions of the dead is what it is. So yeah, give it a shot. Transfers fantastic for snaps films, of course, like it always is. So, yeah.
3: But did you rate it?
1: Uh, Six out of ten.
3: All right. Cool, cool. That is our segments. Wild Moods, we lost one.
1: We lost one what?
3: We lost one of the legends, one of the masters, dude.
1: Oh,
0: the oh, whole point of the show. <laughs>
1: uh, this you is our man, Wesley you- Craven director's spotlight. The way you came in with that, I was like, we lost. I thought you were talking about a fucking audio file for a second. I was like, no, what is this fucking <laughs> my bloody Valentine all over again? Fuck. Jesus Christ! Yeah. yeah, man, that's really, really sad. I mean, you know, I think it's kind of it's kind of ironic a little bit, too, because I think it was sometime earlier in the year we were talking about. It was just a couple know,
3: episodes before
1: it was man. We were talking about, you know. Romero and Carpenter and and Craven were all like, well, you know, who's going to make a film first? And I'm like, well, you know, what what we were saying is that they need to make a film quick because, you know, one of them might, uh, you know, fall off the face of the earth. And of course that actually happened. Um, you know, it's very, very sad that it had to be West. I mean, obviously all any one of those three would have been, you know, terrible, but you know, West Craven, man, you know, he just did so much for the, the horror genre and, and, uh, it's a big loss, man. I I didn't realize that you know Wes Craven was as sick as he was. Like I remember a few years ago, uh, reading something about you know the cancer that he had and stuff. But I thought that he that he was like all good and stuff. I guess they just kind of kept it under wraps. Like, did you know that he was you know doing as badly as he was?
3: No, I because had no as far idea. As I
1: know- yeah, it's so strange because like like I said, I remember reading about it and and I just I didn't assumed even know the that first he
3: time I like when yeah you're saying you it, read it, about it I didn't even know period.
1: Yeah, it was I I I like actually completely had forgotten, but it. it was a f- five or six years ago or something something rather, but uh, I don't think it was heavily publicized too much, but but I just assumed that he was you know a lot better considering he'd been you know involved with the Scream series and you know still doing things and stuff, so yeah, but. Either or, though, it's it's really sad because Wes Craven was someone that, you know, I always respected. And he's just a household name, you know, he, Wes Craven, you know. You th- hear the name, you just automatically think of good things, you know, in horror films. So, yeah, it's really, really sad, man.
3: Yeah, you know, Wes Craven's career is, is an interesting one because, yeah, he, everybody says Wes Craven's hit and miss. And, and that's true for for the most part. But yeah. I just find his career to be fascinating. Like he starts out with the f- two films that we're going to talk about in a couple minutes, Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes. This dark, gritty, you know, violent, uh just, you know, rape and stuff. And then he gets to like this almost mainstream era where he got films that are quite tame to be honest, like The Scream films. Uh, towards the end of his career Scream 4 was his last film there's like no nudity in the Scream films the the, ki- the kills are very you know there's not overly gory and gratuitous so I've always kind of saw it weird how his career kind of bookended from like the complete opposite of what he started and I, I think mm-hmm. that shows growth and maturity in in his career as well and you know he said it himself when he made Last House mm. he was angry he was young and he was you know ha- had issues uh craven you said it earlier but the guy is intelligent the guy was intelligent he could he the way he explained things and he would talk about things in documentaries was just really fascinating like you can tell that this guy uh was, was very you know ahead of uh, of thinking like he, he thought of things a, a little bit differently than than everybody else and, and to create somebody like Freddy Kruger, it, is is just it's, it's like Clive Barker like I said earlier it, how do you create something like that how do you bring these pieces from your yeah. real life into a character and it to be as unique because Freddy Krueger is one of the most unique things not even in horror it's yeah. just one of the unique, most unique things from and, the way that he looks to what he actually is with the dream demon type thing
1: yeah I mean he created one of the most recognizable characters for not even just horror fans, but in general, like, I mean, you don't have to be a horror film fan to, to know who Freddy Krueger is. Right. You know, it's just, it's a household name and it's just, it's amazing, but you know, rest in peace to, to Wes Craven, man. It's so sad. Yeah, absolutely.
3: When, when I first heard about it, honestly, like I, I did get really depressed for a second. Like it, to me, Wes Craven was, Just somebody that I knew – like early on, I just knew about him before I knew about John Carpenter, before I knew about Toby Hooper, all the directors. Like Wes Craven was like the first – one when I started learning a little bit more about the the behind-the-scenes stuff, like Wes Craven was the first director that I knew of and knew his films. Like Scream being the primary one with A Nightmare on Elm Street and then I started going in through his catalog and and things. So it it honestly was really depressing to me and it kind of got me thinking about like legacy – and, uh, you know, one's mortality and it was just, it was such an odd experience for that to happen. And you said that we had just talked about it and I, I do remember when we talked about it. It was when I was reviewing day of the dead, which was,
1: was
0: oh, yeah.
3: right. You know, just a few episodes before that. Yeah.
1: Maybe, maybe we shouldn't talk like that anymore.
3: <laughs> I know. I even made a joke. I was like, when we're going to start a poll on <laughs> who's going to kick it. Yeah. I know.
1: Yeah, it's so bad. Yeah, Wes Craven, man. You know, like he, you know, for me too. At such a young age, he was, he was, uh, you know, he was responsible for my favorite franchise, which is Nightmare on Elm Street. Right, so you know, I got to you know look into him a little more and stuff. You know, you know, like when you're younger, you just want to know everything about you know the people and you know things that are involved and stuff but yeah Wes craven's name was just it was also another thing about Wes craven his name was easy to remember you know me and my names you know i've been so bad with names and stuff but i could always remember Wes craven's name you know he was the director of you know nightmare on elm street so um yeah i I mean i'd never seen last house on the left and the hills have eyes before i'd seen you know nightmare on elm street so those came later but uh but yeah Wes craven man I mean what can I say?
3: And he has an interesting catalog that, you know, he'll go down in history as one of the best for the his popular films, but I think as time goes on people will start to look at his catalog and and, you know, if it's the Tupac effect where, you know, after you die everything's, you know, much better to everybody or if, you know, there are actually some gems in there. And, uh, man, it, it, it really does bum me out, but he, he did leave behind like such, such a great legacy and, uh, you know, scream factory. And I mentioned this, I was so, everybody's like, why are they releasing films that already have releases and stuff? But look guys, they, they get these, these these directors like Carpenter and and Hooper and Craven and th- like they're not going to be there forever. So while we yeah. can, let's get as much let's hear Wes Craven talk about People Under the Stairs I- as much as possible. Because it, once he's gone, that's it. That's all that is, is left is just those those interviews and those clips that have been left behind. And and some of his films like Deadly Blessing. If Scream Factory never did that release, you would not have that commentary with him and Sean Clark like hear him talk about a film that is lesser known that, that he had this, this interesting memory where he knew that it wasn't a good film, but, but he enjoyed talking about it because it was, it was something, it was an interesting experience that he had and it really kind of shaped, you know, how he went further when it bombed and stuff. And, and to hear him talk about these things, it's important to preserve this information for, for these great horror directors, because how many people want to would wish that like Hitchcock could could talk more about Psycho or something? All of the clips that Hitchcock is talking about Psycho, that's all that there are and there never will be anymore. So it's awesome to see Scream Factory take Shocker and Serpent in a Rainbow. Hopefully they got something for Serpent in a Rainbow if you, before he passed, but maybe that's why it was even delayed because maybe he went to the hospital or something. I, I don't know, but it. It's awesome to to get these these final things from these directors like John Carpenter and Wes Craven.
1: Mhm. It it's so interesting too and you know th- you know death has that effect on people where they feel like they need to go out and you know purchase stuff. It's sad that like you know that's what it takes sometimes for things to sell. Like I noticed when like Piper like Roddy Piper died like you know like they live with sold out on amazon.ca, you know, like and immediately. Yes. In U.S. and like even in, in like in Canada here, um, West Craven. I just randomly just you know because I'm curious, right? <laughs> like everything was sold out like that day or the next day or whatever I checked. I can't remember, but like people just went and bought up everything, and I'm just like, you know, he was alive yesterday. No one was buying his shit, and it's like fuck, <laughs> you know. It, it's kind of depressing to me sometimes. Is that's what it takes to sell yeah. some of these releases and shit. It's like really need to die, but, but sometimes you, know, you have sad, to
3: look but... at it like. Like, Maybe it's, it's just a celebration celebrating too, though, right? as well, yes. too. You I know. know, it's, it's I like, know. cause I watched two Craven films the day that he died. I was I'm, I'm like, a very
1: pessimistic person though. <laughs> like, I was like, like, you know, you know, I was like, oh, fuck, man. Like, really, you guys are just gonna, you know, I'm not looking at it like, oh no, they're actually celebrating. <laughs> was like, but you know, it's, we'll just go with that one. It sounds a lot more happy. So, but yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, rest in peace to Wes Craven, man. Did For a lot. Sure. Did a lot alright so getting into um, well the Wes Craven main reviews here Uh, of course from 1972 the infamous uh, debut film from Wes Craven uh, the real grimy grindhouse classic I don't know infamous film um, of course called The Last House on the Left it rests on 13 acres of earth over the very center
4: of hell. Here's the first motion picture to offer, to the daring, a look into the final, maddening space between life and death. The last house on the left. To avoid fainting, Keep repeating. It's only a movie.
0: Only a movie.
4: Only a movie. Sights and sounds far beyond anything you've tested. The last house on the left. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Only
1: a movie. Take as much as you can. Only a movie. Yeah, man. The, you know, I re- I remember when I was younger, always hearing about this film, and just the way people talked about it, I was like, it, it sounded like it was the most brutal, vile piece of cinema out there. Did Like, do you remember what the first time you watched this movie, or like, was it...
3: I, I do, you know, and I'm like, glad you was asked it- me that, because I would like to tell the story. Okay. So, w- when I first seen Last House on the Left, I had known Wes Craven, I was in middle school, I I, I, I knew of Last House on the Left, but I I didn't know it was Craven directly, and I I just had heard the name before. And me and a couple buddies, we used to uh, buy movies or rent movies and and watch them in his basement. It, It was a really cool place. I know I've talked about it before, but his parents pretty much left us alone. We'd get beer whenever we wanted, chicks, anything, and we would just hang out in his basement all the time. And we went to the mall one night, and we stopped at the FYE and we wanted to get a couple horror movies and we walked in there and i talked to you know how they walk around and they're like hey do you need help and i was like i was like yeah yeah uh we're looking for a horror movie we want we want something that's you know really really good and the guy knew a lot about horror movies and he started going through some titles and he's like oh this is the one you want to check out man this is this is some hardcore stuff and he pointed out last house on the left so i bought it with my own money and this was before I collected and stuff and we took it back to the, to the, to the crib and we, we pop it in and we're watching it. And I just remember this experience of looking around at everybody's faces and it was just pure disgust. And <laughs> I, I was like enjoying it and I was like – and then I started feeling a little self-conscious because I'm like, oh, they're going to think I'm like a weirdo and stuff. And um, by the end of it, I remember as soon as it ended, one, my one friend was like, that sucked. And the other one was like, yeah, yeah, that was terrible, JP. And I'm like, oh, well, actually, it was pretty deep. And I tried to defend it and they were just like, no, that was awful. That was a terrible movie. And I remember like just being like, oh, man. And But it was just showed the differences between me and my friends with horror. They didn't get it and especially yeah. something like that. They were like it was so old and, and weird. It was like dated. Like they didn't know how to describe it, but they were just like it was old. But I remember everybody feeling like it was very intense as well.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't. I wish I had, had had that experience where I watched it with a group of people. But because just seeing the look on people's faces would have been fucking priceless, man. <laughs> you know. Because you know, like
3: I, I, I it was a little awkward it, to be honest. It was because uh, everybody was kind of like uh, nobody talked through the whole movie, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and everybody was kind of just like. I looked at that scene where the rape is happening. I looked at each and every individual friend of mine and looked at their face and and they were just out of their element.
1: Mhm. <laughs> yeah, I can totally see that. I mean, we can all kind of relate though in in a way like I mean, probably some of the listeners too. You know, if you're ever screening a film, you know, with a bunch of friends or it seems like most people that we talk to It seems like, you know, specific, like, me, I'm, like, the only horror fan out of, of like, all my friends. Me, too. You know, so if I'm watching this, so it's, like, it's that reaction that you got with Last House and Left with your friends. Like, everyone's, like, out of their elements and freaking out and shit i mean i have friends that you know you know that obviously are into it but most of my friends aren't and like you know if i ever show them something they're just like what the fuck they don't get it you know and yeah. just imagine the fucking look on someone's face and, and you gotta the last house on the these, left that's, that's, like that's a crazy year
3: old 15 year old kids as well you know 16 yeah. or whatever
1: yeah i watched the last house on the left by myself actually uh, you know um on vhs um in my parents' house, <laughs> and I remember watching it in my room because I was a spoiled kid and I had a TV and VCR in my room. And uh, fucking, you just I, dated I, with yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm old. I'm old. But no, I remember watching the film and the screams, and I remember turning it down and going, "Fuck, they—they're they, not hear this, man. They're gonna freak out if I find out what I'm yeah. watching here, man." You know, I was—I don't know. I think the first time I watched it, I was. I want to say maybe 12 or 30. I don't know. I wasn't like too, too young or anything, but I mean, I guess that's young enough to watch the last house and left, but mm-hmm. um, I really didn't care for it that much though. I won't lie. The first time I watched it, I was like, cause it was, I, I don't know. You know how I am sometimes when things get overhyped, I just kind of look mm-hmm. too much the other way. Maybe that's what happened then, because I kept hearing and reading, not even reading, but just hearing from people and stuff. you know, this movie's brutal. It's nasty. It's it like, had fucking, a
3: reputation, can't... like changed. It did.
1: It had a reputation that I think that you know, for myself, movies that have reputations, I always allow them not to live up to it. Sometimes, you know how that is. Sometimes, I mean, kind you know, of the same way. Even though I I probably enjoyed it more than I gave it credit for, or it was better. I don't know. It's it's strange, but I mean, I know I didn't hate it. I just wasn't really going back to it anytime soon I mean it could be the fact that I'm not into rape and I'm willing to watch you know The Last House on the Left that much but um, I don't know it, it was just it was a weird experience for me I just I wasn't really having that much excitement when I first watched it but you know I was young didn't really know what the hell I was getting myself into so but yeah you know so, with those stories of our first viewing of The Last House on the Left do you want to give the brief little synopsis on the film there?
3: Yeah, we have uh two teenage girls who decide to uh go out for a night of hanging out and they meet this uh young young dude on the on the street corner. They ask him if he has some pot. The guy reluctantly kind of, you know, is like, "Yeah, yeah." And he takes them into to this group where that happens to be his family, which are also kind of these escaped on the run killers, uh, you know, molesters, stuff like that. They then proceed to take and capture these girls, take them out to the woods, and they rape and murder them. And then they kind of meet up with the young girl's family later on, and, and that's that's kind of your uh, your plot. It's it's a rape revenge, but it's it's done in a little bit different way than the victims' revenge. I guess they still are the victims, but they're not the direct victims; they're the indirect victims. So, what do you think,
1: man? Um. You know, I've I've watched this movie many, many times. As um, have oddly I. enough You know, from the very first time I watched it. Actually, the first time I watched the movie, I don't think I watched it for like 10 years after. I think it would would have been the original MGM DVD release. It came out in like the early 2000s or whatever. Um, which cool I actually don't... Yeah, I actually don't have that DVD anymore. You know, I never knew what happened to it. <laughs> it's like the weirdest thing. I don't have that copy anymore. I had to re-buy it when they reissued it years later, but oddly enough, but I don't know, man. I've watched this movie many times, and it's really you know I've come to the realization this movie's it's kind of a mood piece for me sometimes like I do enjoy it um and sometimes I don't really care for it, it really does you know what I think it is though I think a lot has to do with David Hess's music in the film. I find it like it's just an odd, odd soundtrack, man, really, really odd to me and i think David Hess did the music yeah, David Hess is huh. he's actually a writer and stuff. David Hess is actually quite talented. Like, he uh, he actually wrote songs for, like, Elvis and shit. It was pretty fucked up, but um, but anyways, I always found the soundtrack to be off pretty Anyways, just that being relatable to my mood, you know, it's one of those movies that, you know, you really don't want to be watching all the time. Mm-hmm. But the music really does kind of, you know, make it a mood piece for me, but you know, this time around watching it, I, um, you know, I was just, you know, really kind of concentrating on things, and, uh, I really did enjoy it, and the music didn't bug me as it, as much as it usually does this time around. Who knows? The next time I talk about this film, I can be like, fucking goddamn music pissed me off, <laughs> you know? But uh I don't know, man. This movie is grimy. And, you know, you can tell it was done by a filmmaker that was very, very motivated and knew what he wanted. Um I like the style of this film. I really, really like the style of this film because... It's totally shot like, you know, almost documentary style, like it has a lot of that type documentary feel to it, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and that's what Wes Craven tried to capture because of what was going on. It was like, he wanted to catch the realism of, you know, the nastiness and the grittiness of what the theme was, um, and I really, I, I, you know, I just knowing these things years later and kind of concentrating on, you know, those type of elements to the filmmaking, it makes it a lot better for me. You know, I don't just look at it as a rape, revenge film and, you know, shitty, low budget film. I, I kind of look at things like that. And I think, you know, even Wes Craven admits, you know, he didn't really know exactly what he was doing in the making of this film at all. He wasn't a director, you know, he just kind of went with the flow. And um, I think it turned out pretty fucking good, man. It has like real grimy, grindhouse look in it. I think it's just, it's good. It's yeah. Good. See, I'm I'm a
3: similar with you, and I think a lot of people are. I'm a flip flopper on this film. Like, there's yeah. sometimes where I, I I really do, and love that's really it. what
1: I mean by mood piece. It's like a yeah. flip flop,
3: right? And, yeah. and and other times, like it just bugs me. And even the times that I really like it, there's still things that bug me. But the whole film doesn't.
0: Yeah, bug yeah. Me.
3: So. Yeah. Right away, like one of my favorite things early on in the film is actually the opening. Like it has this almost seventies porno music with the new where the chick's taking a shower, and it just feels like sleaze. And I love that opening. It, and that's there's sometimes in the film that the music really doesn't work at all, but that time it actually does. Like the music is great in the opening,
1: which is actually kind of funny because you know Weasel in the film, you know. um, the fuck um, fred lincoln uh who went on to do fucking he was a huge porno director <laughs> really i didn't know that that's kind of funny that you that you think the music sounds like it's porn but i i know exactly what you mean it does it starts out with this kind of like very low budget 70s porno type feel to it, you it,
3: know? it not only does it look i mean not yeah. only is it, does it sound like a porno but it looks like one too like the way that it's no, it shot totally does. and and the 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 behind the uh, shower door and stuff like it, it feels like I, I, I would swear that it's an opening to a seventies porno.
1: <laughs> oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the music and like that happy porno music, it just kind of, I don't know. It's kind of, I don't know. It kind of works at times. I don't know. It worked for me this time, I guess, because I it like is the it, opening, right. Yeah, I don't like know. I, I think it. Just, I think it just kind of works. It, it feels like it, it's kind of like got this happy feel to it. I don't know. It, it's weird. Yeah. So,
3: um, <laughs> there's one scene that always like weirds me out, and the girl walks with the the shirt on, and the dad's like, like I can see your nipples or something. Like, what are you doing? What no bra? Like. Uh, <laughs> It, what? It's kind of weird, dude.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I think that's also just you know, script writing that just I don't know. They like like Wes said he goes they didn't really know what they're doing, so they kind of put this thing together and I I think it just kind of came out like that. It probably wasn't intended to be that awkward. I'm well, assuming. It was very
3: awkward. It was, you just, know, I. it's uh...
1: probably not what he was intending, but they're just like, well, you know, we really can't afford more film stock. So we're just going to keep these, <laughs> you know, you know. And I don't know. Yeah, there's awkward times in it, but I find that some of the transitions in this film are actually a little awkward too. And, and that's probably due to, uh, you know, just being a very amateur filmmaker too. You know, I don't know if you notice the transitions just from scene to scene and stuff. They just feel choppy and just, like, oh, very the amateur. The
3: editing's bad in this movie. It's
1: actually yeah, bad. Like the, yeah, the editing is, you know, pretty bad. Transitions are just like, fuck, holy shit. Like, whoa, that was choppy. Yeah, it, it's very rough around the edges of the film, which I find... To be not the worst thing in the world, it's just... It works, uh,
3: but it also doesn't when when in certain scenes. Like, there's certain scenes that it just doesn't work. Other scenes, it feels more realistic and gritty. And other times, it just comes off, like, awkward.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, one of the scenes that, you know, when they're kind of... I mean, the actual rape scene itself is just fucking... I actually filmed pretty well.
3: well pretty do you actually realistic. want to talk about that real quick? We we can go into the rape scene.
1: Yeah, I mean that scene is actually shot pretty well. I mean Wes knew exactly what he's doing, but I think a lot of the you know the powerful the powerness in that in that scene is actually the way it's the way it's acted and stuff too. Um, I know the actors just pretty much improvised a lot of the shit that was going on there. And it comes out very realistic. I think, you know, the idea of Wes Craven having this documentary type feel to it and then having the actors kind of improvise just came off very, very natural. And I think it really worked, man. I think it's the way you do it. You know, that's just my opinion. I think it comes off very realistic, man. Very realistic. It's just fucking nasty. It's gritty, man. There's
3: one sequence in this film that I think is cinematic genius. And I think it completely. Shows the talent that Wes Craven had hidden. It was the diamond in the rough, and this scene is the beginning of the rape scene to the end of the death. You have the the way that the rape scene was done. And then you yeah. have the the post rape scene where everybody's kind of standing there looking around, a little disgusted at themselves. I, I've heard many people say this, but when they start picking at the grass on their fingers and they just feel sticky and nasty and dirty, the way that it's filmed, the way that the characters emote those emotions, and yeah, then you
1: captured it so well. Yeah. Oh
3: my god! And the the scene where they're all looking around and she just starts walking away, like she's to the point where it's like. She can't – there's no way she could get away. She knows she can't get away. She's just walking Mm -hmm. defeated and that the way she walks defeated, completely defeated to where she doesn't even care anymore. She don't care about her life anymore. She has no urge to try to fight fight him off or escape. Everything that she had as a person is gone and she feels Mm -hmm. like she has nothing. The way that she walks completely and utterly defeated into the river – and then the the death that is all genius it is the core of this film that scene right there from beginning to end i love that scene it's one of my favorite scenes in history just because of how powerful it is and it just saddens me that there's so much around that the film that happens later and before that just really kind of brings the film down as a whole and it but it it, that scene itself is really good
1: no, it really is, man. Because you know, as she's walking, like the horror is in the the horror happens before she even dies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he he just managed to capture that. So oh, I totally I totally don't mean it, it, what you the mean,
3: death no. is the death is less. Like and what I yeah, mean by exactly that is, is exactly. Death is actually That's, the better option at that moment to her, and you can see that, and mm. and it's not by the way she says anything it's just the her movements this this just i'm um, done look and all mm-hmm. of them are kind of looking at her they 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 know she's walking away they don't immediately jump and run after her because they can vibe they can feel the vibe too and they're just standing there they let her walk a little bit and then they just mm-hmm. you know it, they do the business and uh man i like i i i think that that scene probably has been taught in film school a lot there's probably people who can dissect it better than me but i I really think there's something magical happening there
1: no it really is probably the best scene in the film i mean it's just like the interesting thing about that scene is like you know you got these well pretty much monsters right and then they're just kind of the power is them going fuck like what's really going through their mind at that time. Like like you said, picking the grass out of their fingernails and and it, just it, standing there and not and not and not actually, you know doing saying anything. anything. About they're not saying anything that, either. That's a, that's the thing. They're not doing anything but kind of focusing on what just happened. Reflecting. You know, and and, and they know and exactly they're reflecting and they're just kind of focusing on that. And, and they know that they don't have to worry about her because she's got nowhere to go. Yeah. So you know it's really the focus is on them and then she just kind of walks out there and it's just yeah man it's it's executed it's a brilliant scene man it's a brilliant scene for sure for
3: sure and uh you know go going back a little bit back to the beginning of the film uh, I I noticed something in this particular watch I'd always wondered like why the girl's why why the sun the girls in there right because he seems anti Krug right he he seems like he did he, he's obviously hooked on on the heroine uh,
1: mm-hmm. which
3: which Krug did to him to keep him under his control uh, Krug obviously is is the lead villain uh, based on uh, Freddy Krug, or Fred the, the name Krug is you know a, a pre a preterm to Freddy Krueger which was like West the West prefix Craven's, uh, bully West Craven had a bully named you uh, Something Kruger, something Kruger, something. So he's always kind of used that name because uh, yeah. it's a scary name to him, which is, you know, makes so much sense as well. Uh, but, you know, I, back to what I was saying, the the son, he, I, I never quite understood why he brought the girls back until I watched it this time. And I remember. I remember a scene where Sadie, which is the girl of the group, and and the son kind of have Junior or whatever his name is ha- have kind of a, a relationship in the bathroom. It's it's just a friendly like it's almost like he likes her a little bit more than everybody else. Maybe it's because she's a girl and stuff, but but they yeah. have a little bit more of a, a a bonding connection. And then Sadie sends something out in the living room where she's where Krug's trying to get at her, and she's like, "I'm not doing anything until more girls are around here." And then Junior leaves, and then he sees those girls. Is that why he brings them back? Was he like subconsciously trying to like please or or you know sh- give like bring them back for Sadie?
1: Yeah, that's a good point, man. You know, and I, never I never really thought, thought of much- it. Yeah, I never really looked too much into it. But yeah, now that you mention it, I I wonder if that was just if that came off accidental or if that was actually intended. I to, think if you watch it again that. and,
3: and watch like junior and stuff <laughs> and how it happens, I think you might, might notice it as well that it, that it, I think that's might've been what they were trying
1: to do. Yeah. Bring the girls back for Sadie.
3: Yeah. Or, you know, maybe that's n- not I mean, what I mean, she it, wanted, but that's what his thought process was. Cause she said that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Hm. Too bad they never touched on that. in like the, in the features that actually would yeah. be interesting.
3: Um you know what's funny? I actually re- I actually think that another good scene is when they start foreshadowing the uh like Krug in the gang and it's on the newscast and it's like uh you know Krug, Weasel and Sadie or something. And it's like Weasel uh <laughs> was uh is char- char- wanted for molesting and peeping Tomism. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> keeping tomism i know is that even a word keeping (laughs) tomism
3: it said child molesting which was kind of you know it gives you a little backstory on the weasel character as well yeah yeah that he might be just a little worse than krug
1: Mm -hmm. yeah exactly man oh he's a fucking he's a slime ball man such a slime ball that's one thing about this film that i david hess man he's fucking he's a good actor man he's a really good actor david
3: hess could have done some amazing things and i I looked at his filmography and i've only seen him in a, a handful of things but it just seems like he should have had way more roles because i'll tell you what man that that performance in this film is amazing like david hess is is probably the strongest in the film and he like he like he just has a range to him
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, he does, man. He's he's just naturally frightening. You know, there's just something about it. It was, it was great casting that they put him in there because that role was made for him. You know, and of course he went on to play the very similar type character in Hitchhike and and uh, um, Last House on, or Last House on the Left <laughs> House on the Edge of House on the Edge of the Park. Very similar type you know, dick characters, but he's always powerful in those roles, man. This was just no different. It worked out so well. Um, you know, Fred Lincoln, of course, who played Weasel. It's funny when you watch his special features on this film, he he just fucking even to this day, or like when they did those interviews, he's like, Man, this is like the shittiest movie I've ever been in. And I'm thinking to myself, going, Really? Dude, you've been in porno movies, man. Like those movies are worse than this one. <laughs> he fucking hates this movie. He thinks it's just a vile piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck is Red Lincoln? Jesus Christ!
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I think it's time to start talking about some of the negative things we've touched on them a little bit with some of the music. But go those motherfucking cops, dude! And and it cuts to the parents making cakes and shit, and it just comes off so poorly.
1: Well, the, you know, the negatives are you know the a great example of the amateurism of. Wes Craven at the time, like he had some brilliant things going on, but he just, you know, he just, he put in so many things in this film that are just like, Oh God, dude, the cops are face completely palm. ridiculous. You want a face it, 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 It's really ridiculous, man. And it totally, every time the cops are in a scene, it just, it drives you right out of the film. Doesn't it? Straight nose dive,
3: straight nose, dive, dude. straight up,
1: man. It's, it's fucking, I hate the fucking scene in this film too, with Ada Washington, man. Like she plays herself actually in the film too. Um, you know who she is right when they pull or she's the the yeah, yeah, the yeah. bigger yeah yeah i fucking hate that i don't know man it just I, I don't know what it is about that scene and it just drives me nuts i'm like it doesn't need to be here man mm-hmm. but yeah of course with the cops and then the you know the ridiculous soundtrack and it just has this total comic feel to it it's And i'm fumbling, like this movie, it does it. it's very fumbly and, and it really does take you out so drastically man so drastically
3: and you know, it's such a,
1: it's such a shame.
3: It, it almost is of the time where you look at uh, films like uh, the town that dreaded sundown with the comedy. There was yeah, this weird it, thing in the seventies where they they started doing some shit like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, there there definitely was a few films like that. I mean, the seventies for the most part had mostly serious films. I don't know, yeah. like I I think that's why those those parts in these films really stick out because the seventies was a decade and it wasn't about making, you know, comedies or comedies and stuff, you know? And then when you see everybody was pissed off in the
3: seventies,
1: exactly, man, you know, and that's why these are so, that's why they stick out so much because they're really, they shouldn't be there. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the thing, man. There's some really good things going on with Wes Craven in this one. And then some really not so good things. Yeah, You know, like, and it just goes back to that amateur, just being, you know, just not having the experience and stuff. I I mean, you can't even blame budget and things like that. These are things that were kind of scripted and shot and stuff. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what you're thinking with that. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh,
3: You know, and. The the some of the editing things that I was talking about as well, like there's a chase scene where one of the girls gets away. It's there's kind of like a role reversal thing there too, where you figure that the one girl is going to be the strong girl, and then it's like swapped. And that's really not, you know, we're, you're used to seeing your uh, protagonist yeah. and knowing that they're going to do certain things, and and it really doesn't happen like that in this one. So, uh, you know, I guess it might have been before the time, but at the same time, like you look at something like. Yeah, well, 72 is really early, so... Yeah, I don't know, but I, I I did notice that. But there's some editing things that are happening in a chase scene where one of the girls gets away that, honestly, like, it's almost impossible. Like, the the way that these characters are walking past each other, it, like, it, it just... It's shot very weird, and, like, the cues are a little off.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I know about, like, you know, the character kind of switched up there. They, I mean, that totally you know i mean i guess it i don't i don't even really know what to think sometimes about this movie it's just it's there's so many highs and lows in this film it's just like it's just kind of all over the place but I don't know, man. One thing this movie does, well, going back to another good thing I I didn't mention is, you know, the feel of the film, like that low budget, kind of, you know, grimy, but the atmosphere in the film, it actually does have a pretty decent atmosphere in a lot of certain scenes. And that's actually one of the biggest problems with this movie for me, man. You know, obviously the the stupid comic elements and stuff, it's just, you know, you just ruin that big time. Mm -hmm. You know, one minute you got this and the next minute they got that. Like, I don't know how you've, can you know capture that so well? But then again, you know, I think it was more that you're watching it now, and it's kind of like you know, it's a total throwback. You know, mm. you're watching this early '70s film; it just feels like that, anyways. But I don't know, man. It just has such a mixed fucking feel to it. It's just, yeah. Eh, I don't know. Well, the last, thing but it does, I... it. it okay. But actually, another scene, um, the scene where uh, where David Hess tells well the son or the junkie, what I can't remember what his fucking name is right now, Junior, uh, to blow it. Is it actually Junior?
3: I don't, it, it might be it might not be
1: I, I can't remember but anyways when he tells him to blow his brains out like i love that scene man it's yeah like david has been david has this fucking great man mm-hmm. it's awesome good scene yeah it,
3: it, you know the the last thing i'll kind of touch on here and i kind of wrap up my thoughts is the the whole end scene with the parents getting revenge like it, it honestly comes off pretty hokey and it, it like the setting up of traps, it just doesn't play right no. for me. It like spraying shaving, it's like a fucking home alone, dude. I don't like it.
1: No, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense because I've always thought the same thing. I know we talked about this once before. It doesn't it doesn't feel right because it's not reality, man. There's no way that these parents, knowing what these people had done, were gonna take the time to set up traps. They would just fucking go in for the kill. Yeah or or just do the obvious and phone the police or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But like I'm saying, you're gonna set up fucking traps and stuff. And yeah. the one thing that really bugs I know I know exactly what you mean. I just kind of getting there too. Um, you know the ones with the wife and you know with Weasel. Is that, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Weasel. Yeah. Like really, like there's no fucking way that's gonna play out. Like it's just so unbelievable. It's it's yeah. pretty poorly written and kind of executed. The film. I mean, that shit is just ridiculous, man. It's never gonna happen. Never gonna happen, it, yeah. It, it's it's just silly, it's silly writing, and you know, it, it's just come on, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know it, I, I know what they're trying to get at, and, and obviously that would hurt, but it's not believable at all. And in a film that you know should have some type of you know believableness to it, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. because these rape scenes and shit they can really happen, you can get revenge and stuff, but you know, make it semi believable. Really yeah. Home Alone with fucking shaving cream? <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. And, you know, so <laughs> yeah. uh, I think as we kind of wind down on this one, I think the big takeaway, and I, and I think we're both in in agreement, is there is some of the most amazing stuff and some of the most porous stuff that we've seen from exactly. Wes Craven in one film. And, yeah, I know. you know, it, we can excuse some things because it is his first film. And, you know, we see how he progressed uh, and we've seen the the potential in this film, but but it is bad at times. Like there are some serious problems with this film, so uh, yeah. I think I'll probably rate accordingly to that. And uh, my rating is a seven point five out of ten. Uh, you know that one scene that we talked about in depth, like that is that is you know the core of this film. But there's some bad shit in it too that brings my rating down from like say a nine.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I'm pretty much on the same level. Um, you know, I as much as I don't like to, you know, say that. Oh, you know, I like the rape scene and stuff. I, you know, watching the special features on it is like it's pretty interesting because the girl that was getting the, you know, the, the nasty rape, um, she was fucking terrified, man. Like when they were filming that shit, man. The terror on her face was actually like pretty much real because it was they kind of like you know improvised and kind of did all that shit and stuff, and the one girl when she reaches over or when she says something to her and stuff like that was non scripted and stuff and yeah it, it's just like you know there's certain things like that that you know watching after you 're like man that 's actually pretty fucking cool man um, but yeah there's there's too much goofiness and almost silliness to to the point of being stupid, like the whole end scene is pretty ridiculous. And I, I know I'm glad that we're in agreement on that because I've never found that revenge to be, to be, I don't know, good. It's not good. Good, um,
3: fitting, acceptable, anywhere you yeah, really want. Just, it
1: there, I know. Yeah, exactly. There's many, many adjectives you can throw out there, but my rating, I give it a seven out of ten. I think I've rated this one before somewhere, but I, I've always said seven out of ten. So seven out of ten is my rating. So yeah. awesome, awesome. So, moving along to well, I guess five years later, man, Wes Craven didn't do a film for I think this was the second. It was a second film, um, because he was having problems getting funding, wasn't he? Because after yeah, the Last House yeah. Left, I think that was the major yep. problem, right? It was. So, so five years later, come 1977, we have a film called The Hills Have Eyes. They wanted to see something different, but something
4: different saw them first. The hills have eyes. Mister, don't take your family back in that area. The silver has been gone for 40 years now. There's nothing back in there but animals.
0: A lot. The old creep told you not to get off the road.
4: What began as a vacation ended... ...as a nightmare.
0: be hell to pay now.
4: What the hell was that? <gasps> she thought she knew what the world was all about. But nothing prepared her for this. The hills have eyes.
1: How are you going with my baby?
0: Yeah,
4: that way, dear. A mother fighting for her child loses it in the worst possible way. I hit him with a tire iron and I split his face wide open. That was a bad mistake. (laughs) I come back for you later, girlie.
0: (laughs) Why are you doing this?
4: The story of an American family who lost everything except the will to survive. Murdered, raped, burned, but not beaten. The hills have eyes. The story of one family's refusal to die. I'm gonna get those animals. The hills have eyes. A night of terror. A day of vengeance where no one was spared. No one. Kill the babes! me! They fought back. Anything was a weapon. A family dog
0: to the family car. It's working! No! No!
4: The Hills Have Eyes The most shocking, terrifying film you will ever see by Wes Craven, writer and director of The Last House on the Left The Hills Have Eyes The Lucky Ones
1: Died First Yeah Another grimy effort from Wes Craven You set up the plot to this one (laughs) All right. Um, basically, it follows a a family, and well, I guess how many people are in there? Six, I guess. The, for, or the uh, the cop, or the parents, and their daughter, and her husband, kid, and another kid, and stuff. Anyways, they're traveling through. Um, they're going to California, I believe, actually, and they decide to take a well a different route to California through this. Back, I was just gonna say backwards through these, uh, um, hills. I guess, I guess the hills, you know, it's <laughs> like desert, hills and desert land, you know. Um, I want to say it's like and they must be somewhere in Arizona or something like that, anyways. But, anyways, they, uh, well, break down, quote unquote. Yeah. Anyways, they, uh, don't really break down in the middle of these hills. They kind of get savagely, well, I guess, no, they didn't break down. They fucking, have a car accident is what they I'm thinking of fucking there's
3: there's an air force base close by and there's planes coming through and for some reason the father like gets can like it, it, it it's kind of a weird scene when you actually pay attention to it like he starts seeing man, these planes it, and they're kind of like it's bugging so, him and he wrecks
1: I know that's the thing that he has like yeah exactly so anyways they fucking just dis- de- destroy. <laughs> I always found it was found it was funny in this film because they're pulling that you know the trailer with a car <laughs> Yeah. it's like probably one wagon. of your, there's one of your main reasons why he went off the road <laughs> and crashed. You know, it's like, you're pulling this fucking huge, like 27 foot trailer with a car. It's like, okay, whatever. Anyways, the family has a, has a, an accident. And of course there is some, um, some people that live out in the hills and these aren't like your normal ass people. Uh, they're kind of like, kind of mutated and stuff because where these hills are there was like a um kind of like a military test site and stuff so these people have kind of gotten mutated over time and stuff anyways these people that live in the hills they decide to attack this family and now it's basically just a you know a survival type film i gotta fight for their lives against these people in the hills
3: yeah and and you know this one um I'll say right away, like, cause you said that the mutated, like it, it's a very tame, realistic mutation. It, like they're just yeah, ugly yeah. people. Like you have Michael Berryman mm-hmm. who in real life was born premature and had like 23 birth defects or something. So he looks yeah, odd. Yeah. He looks odd. And, and that they all look, just look odd. There's, they're not like saying the remake, you know, disgusting, disfigured, like just complete fucked. They're just, they're ugly people. And, uh, yeah. It it fits better if it seems more realistic.
1: hmm Yeah. This this movie read here again is just it's so grimy looking. I don't know, West Craven managed to capture that grimy grindhouse look so well. Um reading the opening of this film, man, I love the opening credits and the music. Man, it's just it's fitting. It works. I love it. It's great yeah. stuff. And another thing I like about this movie is actually the casting. I mean, obviously finding Michael Berryman and uh you know casting him it's just so fucking perfect it's just mm-hmm. it feels so natural right it feels so natural but yeah yeah one thing I, one thing i love about this film man is like the cast i really do like the cast in this film i like the look of this film it's fantastic um it's just
3: the the, the it feels setting. very like uh vacation family right like it, like yeah. i like the family They they have a strong family dynamic to them
1: yeah they really do they really do um, and the setting is just fantastic. Where they shot this, it's just where did they shoot? You know, I'm assuming it's probably well, it's very very desert, so I'm assuming like Arizona or something like that. I have no idea. No, they shot it in Apple Valley, California. So wow. very close to. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the location's fantastic. It just, it it captures like this very kind of eerie, desolate feel to it. And that's one thing about Wes Craven with this film is that he manages to portray that quite a bit, you know, with, you know, the scene where the father has to, where he decides to go and find help and stuff. And the son is there looking after the family and stuff. And it's just, I don't know, I think it's maybe the way he shot the film you know there's there's a little bit of you know further out shots and stuff but it just kind of captures the desolate feel and you feel so alone out there it, i love it, that i love that i love that about the feel it just it's scary because you're sitting there even though you're in a trailer there's nothing anywhere around you except for just these rocky hills and it's just like fuck you know like it, it's just kind of a scary feel yeah like you're
3: that. you're right man because there's certain films where like this the location is supposed to be out in the middle of nowhere but you know that it's probably not this actually does like look and feel like they are out in the middle of nowhere when they were filming oh, the yeah. film so it's like yeah. it it it's like another level of reality that you don't have to lie about so you know it, you, you don't you have you don't have to be faked out of it because it, it really feels like they're there because they are they actually are out in the middle of nowhere where they film this so it, you know it definitely shows well, that, through that-
1: that's why this movie works so well because it feels so natural. It's like, it just, it has a natural kind of, uh, scared to it. I mean, nothing against the remake and stuff, but you know, when they do find like the test site and stuff, it just, it feels like a set. Yeah, it does.
3: The whole, you know what I'm
1: saying? Yeah. 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 So
3: it feels more like set design, like the, the, even like the Hills and stuff, like it feels very, um, like manipulated and, uh, pre like predetermined, while this one just feels random
1: yeah exactly yeah that's a good point point.
3: and that's you know i love the gas station attendant and like, like you said i like all the characters but the gas station attendant is a really like interesting character he's actually the father of all these people um yeah yeah and he you know he like when rudy ruby ruby comes up to him and uh you know he just that relationship that he has with her, and and he's talking to her, and uh, you know, he he's kind of warning the people and stuff. Like he's just kind of a likable character to me, but he's also like this kind of like doomsayer, like crazy Ralph, and he's also like this uh, like he's like feels like the only person that knows anything.
1: Well, I I think it feels like that because he's relatively the only person around.
3: Yeah, right? yeah, like yeah. you
1: get that feeling that like he is literally the only person around and you're never going to get help. Yeah, and he's bouncing. <laughs> you know? He's like getting ready to leave when they show up. But they, but they really capture that well though because, you know, they utilize that character so well uh not just by showing him and, you know, who he stood for and stuff, but it was also some of the shots inside the gas station they show they show like people's belongings and stuff and it, it, it immediately you see all that shit in there and you're like, well, this is fucking done. They're done. You know, yeah. I really I really like that. I mean, it was just nice touches of just, oh, here's all these watches and all the shit that's over there. And I like that, man. I, I like things like that. I thought it was good. So, yeah, um,
3: absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Another, another, one of these <laughs> another thing about this film that I've noticed, I mean, it's very, very common in 70s horror films. Um, it was just the style of filmmaking, but there's so much close up shots in this one. <laughs> you notice like Wes Craven's like, he must have the camera right in people's faces sometimes. It's like, Holy fuck, dude, like you got some spinach in your tooth there, buddy. You know what I'm saying? There's there's a lot of close up <laughs> yeah, shots. I think yeah. it's like of the family and stuff. I don't know, it's just weird things that I noticed, but just lots mm. of close ups and I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
3: And you know, the mutants are really gritty and grimy. What like the the one uh guy who's like He's chewing on something, and he's like, "I'll eat your kids' kids or something." Like, (laughs) dude, it's kind of scary, man.
1: Fuck, I love those walkie-talkies too, man. Those things are just massive, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so awesome, man. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that—that's one of the coolest things about this film is that there's so many likable characters, and you know, even though. Brenda gets like super fucking annoying at the end of the film. You know, you still deal with her throughout it's the film. She's still though, dude.
3: She's the little sister who who's like not in control of her own destiny at all, and and is probably exactly. used to relying on other people. And yeah. uh, I, I, you know, the, I, I keep talking about the remake. We should have fucking did a Hills Have Eyes show or something. Because
0: yeah, exactly.
3: Um, there's an arc with the uh, like kind of pussy character the the sister's bo- boyfriend or husband or whatever that, that i think they saw in this one but it's not as blatant in this one and they really kind of run with it in the remake which i do like about the remake because there's this entire like arc for that character but
5: exactly.
0: but it's not
3: as noted it's not as noticeable in this one i mean he's obviously no, a little not. bit of a fish out of water he's he's a little bit uh on the outs with the father who's kind of this tough grizzled uh, been on the force too long, seen too much, making me retire type cop who's you know probably very serious about the law and stuff, and probably raised his kids a very specific way, and and you yeah. know had him in wrestling and stuff like that, you know, and uh, you know you can tell that there's a good relationship between the father and the son, is is he's like he's like his right hand man, he he you know they, they oh he always have he, this
1: he makes him in charge right away, he's like yeah. hey, man. You, know, you instead know, of making the boyfriend like, in
3: charge, right? The the exactly. the, the oldest guy yeah. there, he makes the son in charge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but
1: yeah,
3: yeah, I I I, I love I love that dynamic between the family. Like, there's a lot of different connected uh, connections going on. D. Wallace is in this film, huh?
1: Yeah, man. Fucking D. Wallace. Yeah. There's a He's big young attack. In this film.
3: Yeah, there's a big attack on the uh, on the family. That's kind of, like, your your main scene there. It's pretty mm. brutal, right?
1: Yeah, that that scene is vicious, man. You know, like, watching it again this time, I was like, fuck, man. I always forget, like, how fast, like, things go from decent to, like, holy fuck, this is just terrible, you know? Like, people go <laughs> yeah. down in that scene like crazy. And it's just, like, everything just gets shit-canned. Like, the whole place gets destroyed. These people's bodies start mounting up. It's just a vicious scene. Like, Wes is like, you know, it's... it's not. I, I guess in a sense, it's kind of a slow burner. And then all of a sudden, it just, bam! It smashes you right in the face right there. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's, sets, it sets up a good... It sets up a good third act, though, too. It's it's pretty good. I, I like it, man. Yeah, so. that... I mean,
3: but that scene, the, the attack on the family... Uh that you know there's so much happening all at once and the orchestration of like where the characters are and like like what this one's doing and how this one's fighting back and what these ones yeah. don't know like I, I love the whole dynamic of that where it just feels like it's so chaotic and so much is happening and you know there's mm-hmm. there's just, you know sad moments in that scene too and and what the hell's up with dude drinking the
1: bird blood <laughs> that's brutal I don't know I don't know why the fuck you had to kill a bird it makes no sense but <laughs> um but you know what I, you know, like obviously they, you know, with the baby, they take the baby. And I, the thing I like about this film that is, in other films I fucking, I hate, and it, it's always been a pet peeve of mine is when there's a baby in a scene and you can tell it's a doll. I fucking hate that. In yeah. this movie, they use the real baby the whole time. It's actually pretty fucked up. Yeah that like if I was that watching and like fun. I'm like okay they're fucking running around in the in the fucking in the in the hills and stuff and I'm like wow they're actually carrying that baby around that's pretty good I guess I mean it was so low budget they couldn't afford a doll but they could use a real baby <laughs> Yeah I don't fucking know but I always liked that about that that they used the real baby it's pretty interesting so Yeah you know what yeah. else
3: they used that's real
1: The dog attack?
3: Mm. Well, I don't know. Was actually like right. a re- <laughs> but the, well, the
1: the dog attacking was like fucking vicious. Uh, nasty.
3: The they use a a real a rattlesnake with that has not oh, yeah. been defanged. It hasn't been defanged though.
1: Yeah, that's right. And that's it's right. up yeah, close and
3: personal. Ruby picks it up, and it's real. Like that's really her picking that that rattlesnake up, not being yeah, yeah, handed right. to her. She like sticks the stick on its the V stick, and and like it, it's I, I actually didn't get a crazy.
1: I didn't get a chance to watch a documentary again, man, because I couldn't find my two disc DVD. <laughs> I could I only find the one disc one. That's
3: how I found that out.
1: I have it in a pile, like in a different pile, and I was like, oh, I just got up looking for it, so I was like, fuck. But I, no, I've watched that.
3: Yeah. Before, and you it's know, they stuff, so. they actually mentioned that Wes Craven, like he was trying to make non horror films at this time, like that from you know how you said it was a five year gap between his films. It's because he was trying to get yeah. non horror films going because he didn't want to be a horror director at first. I think he yeah. over time he kind of accepted it and, you know, learned to love it. But at the time he didn't want to be pigeonholed into a horror director and
1: Oh yeah, for sure.
3: And, you know, then he couldn't get anything made so he's like, F it, let's make another horror film. And he actually this is actually based on something that he read, which I feel like is a lost art with uh writer screenwriters. A lot of Wes Craven's films were influenced by shit that he read in the newspaper or shit that he read in the books. Everything from Elm Street to this, Hills Have Eyes, where he read about this family back in uh, England or somewhere where they were living in in these hills and and they were killing and eating people and the king found out and came in and and captured them and then they brought them back to – to the you know kingdom or whatever and and tortured them, put them on these torture devices and stuff, and he thought that that was an interesting parallel about how civilization and brutality uh savage nature kind of role reversed it in that situation and um
1: that's right that is right
3: and there's some of that in this film, obviously social commentary as well with you know the military sub it's a little more in the remake. Like it's a little yeah, it's way in the re- it's way remake.
1: more in, it's way more in the remake. They yeah. they kind of exploit the shit out of that. Really, it's,
3: it's definitely more subtextual in this one.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I mean, it probably could have had something to do with the times too. I mean, you know, in the mid two thousand when the remake was made, it's like, okay, let's just exploit the shit out of the military and you know, fuck that. But maybe these days they just kind of. Eh. You know, Nom was still going on. I don't know. Who knows? It it could have just something to do with the times, though, too. Yeah, I don't really. I
3: mean, this to me, this has always been a strong film. I don't really have many negatives on
1: it. I mean, Nom wasn't going on in seventy seven. I think it had just ended in seventy five or something like that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it it was just touchy, you know, talking about shit like that. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, this film,
3: I've always been a huge fan of though because there's really not much wrong with it it's a very like this is a film if you watch this as a kid like like it's gonna make you feel pretty uncomfortable in that attack scene and it's so raw and uh Mm -hmm. there's not really much wrong with it like there's not a lot of like plot holes or anything my but the one few negatives that i do have is once again, and Wes Craven has went back to this well many times in his films, including Elm Street, including The People Under the Stairs, and probably a handful of others, booby traps. He does it all the time. And I think I'd, I'd, it works a yeah. little bit better in this than Last House, but <laughs> the at the traps. same time, man, it just doesn't come off right to me ever. It feels home alone-y.
1: Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, man. What the the only tire. time it works for me <laughs> yeah. is
3: Elm Street and and people under the stairs because it makes sense but even at elm street's a little weird but yeah i mean i i don't know dude like the the way they set it up and it just to me it's just like it's not it's not a good climax first of all it's the same exact ending as your last film
1: <laughs> yeah exactly but yeah i mean it it is so unbelievable because like really do you think these guys are going to have the time to be doing that yeah. Like, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. You look at it and you go, That's silly. That's yeah. that's ridiculous. I mean, these guys can see them way better from the hills. I mean, you can see. Yeah. And they're watching <laughs> them and able to, they're listening to you, them. You on just the be able to pick it up. Exactly. You just be able to pick it out, you're like, Hey, uh, hey hey Carl, um, they're setting a booby trap up over there. Okay, man. <laughs> you, know, it's like, you can fucking see what they're doing. So it's kinda of, it's kinda of silly, but yeah, whatever. I don't know, man. I've always really liked this film, man. I, it just has such a raw feel to it, and it has raw scenes, and it just it, it all around works, man. I mean, the scene with the father. I mean, if you haven't seen, it, I won't give it away, but mm-hmm. I th- I still think it's nasty. Uh, maybe not as nasty as the one in the remake, but yeah, you know, I think everything in the remake is a little more nasty than this one. But uh, you know, it's a good film, man. And this is one film that I always remember. You know, in the in the uh, video store. You know, it was Michael Berryman's head. You know, yeah. you could like every time I looked at this this cover art, I was like, "Fuck, man, Dude's freaky, man." It's like great makeup, mm-hmm. and then I learned that it's not makeup. <laughs> yeah, and
3: what's so cool is he's like, you know, known as like a super nice guy, and and oh yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think he's like accepted that, like, you know, this is how I look, but I could still make the best out of it, and and that's cool. You know, I, I think I like him, dude. I think he's an awesome character actor.
1: Oh yeah. For sure, for sure, I mean, fuck he's still doing it, mm-hmm. you know he's still he's still like conventions, he still does shit like it's crazy, man, so big ups to michael Perryman and,
3: and you know mad it's props for having the balls to to try to get into acting, you know you know i I don't think that happens very often with people with you know disabilities or, or somebody who just looks odd, like that's ballsy to try to to do something where you're gonna be judged on the way you look and act and sound, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. I totally Oops, agree, man. I totally agree. Yeah. All right, so ratings. I'm I'm assuming that we're pretty much done with this one.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you want to give it?
1: Um, I am, you know, yeah, I mean, this one, I don't really have a lot of problems. I don't really know why I have this rating for this, but I don't really have a lot of problems with this one either. I think it's a really entertaining, grimy film. It's you know I, you know i think we're both in agreement that the ending is a little silly uh-huh. but but uh which again is kind of a big deal because like you know endings for me is a big deal you know yeah. i mean that's the last thing that you see when you're watching a film and it's kind of the last impression so um but you know you did mention there isn't a lot of bad things about this film and there really isn't man you know it's just it's nice to see a horror film which obviously just got played the fuck out, man. In in the especially in the 2000s, man, where directors or writers they just they felt the need to put a whole pile of characters together that don't like each other. You know, in films. But this one right here that seems, you know, there's a little bit of dynamics there, but they're all likable characters for the most part. It's always nice to see. It's always nice to see in films. Um, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Awesome. Awesome.
3: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I love this film. Uh, It's a little depressing for me, honestly. And I think it's just a a lot of seventies films that are very serious often get me a little depressed. Um, But you know, I kind of like that as well about films because it invokes some kind of an emotion. Uh, You know, the ending, like you said, I don't care for it at all, honestly, but the, you know, I, I like the resolution of how, you know, who lives who dies stuff like that but I just don't like how it plays out in terms of the booby traps but on the other side of the thing with ruby and the and her uh dealing with the the snake and and the other guy like that plays out fine uh, i give it an 8.5 out of 10 hmm. so just 0. 0.5 higher than you on both films
1: yeah that's actually very interesting cool cool stuff yeah man awesome awesome stuff man um Again, rest in peace to rest to West Craven. I know this is a little late, you know, because we're recording this show, well, later than we were supposed to.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, we were supposed to do this what two weeks ago. So, but yeah, we were. better now than never. Better now than never. I mean, really, it might be know. three,
3: three or four weeks ago we were supposed to do this damn thing. Was
1: it? I don't know, man. Every day is a fucking match. I don't even know what day it is today, man. I'm so delusional right now. I've been up too long. Yeah, but. uh yeah, that's gonna that's gonna conclude uh, episode fifty-seven. Yeah. of the twenty-two shots of moods and horror. Um, yeah, yeah, Mood, signing off here. Do you want to take it away? Yeah, you know what? Uh, it it's four
3: in the morning here. i haven't done one of these late ones in a while. My brain's starting to fry. But if you guys want to hit us up, definitely check out the Facebook group because that's where. All the horror things are popping. I mean, it, it is an incredible group. Even people who have other podcasts and and people who have been in millions of groups say that, that our group is something special. And, and I encourage everybody who's listening because I know we have a hell of a lot more listeners than people in the group. Check it out. 22 Shots of Moods and Horror on Facebook. Then you can also follow us on Twitter, 22 Shots Podcast. I'm not as active on there, but I'd like to start being a little bit more active. Moods 616 on YouTube, Double Shot J on YouTube. If you want to send us an email, 22ShotsOfMoodsAndHorror at gmail.com. And of course, the voicemail line is always open. That's 724-426-6665. I am JP. That is Moods. See you guys in episode 58. Peace.